good afternoon, good morning, and welcome to the Over 6 Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach the Manny Burke, and with me is the man you know and love. It's the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. What's going on, Cam? Just another day in Southern Ontario. We're still not sure what season we're in, as it's going to be, what, minus no. 2 in the morning, minus 8 overnight? <laughs> uh, frost warning? There might not be frost, because it might be snowing, so the cloud cover is going to avoid the frost. It's just going to be cold. Okay, so there's no, like, Turf King report that needs to be done. No, the greens might be frozen, so I'm not going to let golfers play on frozen greens. But other than that, no, there's not <laughs> frost or anything. It's going to be 15 on the weekend. So, like, this is – but you know what the most ridiculous part is? I feel like the last, like, two podcasts we've talked about how fucked the weather is, and it's just so – it's actually annoying. Yeah, it just needs to make up its mind what season it wants to be. If it's spring, it's be spring. Let's not go back to winter. No. No, it's 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 time. I mean, we've all been out on the course. I've been out four four or five times this year. You've been out probably the same on the golf course. It's been excellent. Um, okay, so today's show, um, we've got a, we're gonna do our normal, our normal kind of podcast. Talk about what we need to talk about. A uh, bunch of stuff kind of before, and then we're gonna do our uh, NFL twenty twenty two draft talk with our buddy Jake Cowell. We're going to split it up, though, so we're going to do kind of the uh, the normal stuff. We'll do the draft, and then we'll kind of finish everything off uh, at the end uh, as we uh, as we normally would. Uh, but we'll get our kind of talk out of the way so that if you don't want to listen to the NFL draft talk and you're not an NFL fan, you can listen to the first 20, 30 minutes of the podcast, and then the rest of it's going to be NFL draft, and you can just get on with your merry way. We still get the view. You don't have to listen to something you don't talk about. It works out for everybody. So, Cam, there's something I'm dying to talk about. What are you dying to talk about, Burke? I need to talk about, number one, how Shaquille O'Neal said the Raptors were going to get swept, and they have not got swept, which is excellent. I would also like to tout that we said the Raptors would probably lose in six or seven, and they can they cannot lose in less than six. So high fives, buddy. Way to go. We were, we were nervous for a while there. Little nervous. It was touch and go. <laughs> it was touch and go, but hey, our prediction means true. Um, let's dive into this a little bit here, though, because I watched the game last night, and we're recording on Tuesday. They played on Monday. Um, they... You know, they they really dominated that game. And you talk about, like, basketball may have, like, with hockey's close, but of all the sports that there is, like, basketball may have the most volatile uh, momentum in, in all of sports. It, it just, it's absolutely incredible where it goes. And so, you know, and frankly, Kim, I feel like they should be up 3-2, the Raps. Like, this, this is where I'm at, is if, if you don't fuck, like, if Nick Nurse doesn't screw the pooch in game two, no offense, Nick Nurse, like, I think he's made really nice adjustments since then, which we talked about. We said he did not adjust defensively correctly, and now he ha- since has. If you look, the Sixers are down on points. If he doesn't screw up and put the guy right on uh, the inbounder, maybe we're talking about the wraps of 3-2, but they won two straight, they're down 3-2. Sean Green did not respond to my uh, uh, that's two tweet, so he's feeling a little bit nervous. Um, I'm super impressed with this Raps team after that that game last night. To me, like, I know, you, I think you t- shared a tweet or something about this. This is just starting to feel exactly like Montreal and Toronto from last year, where... Yep. Now we're heading back to Toronto. You don't want to head back to that building. You don't want to head back to Jurassic Park. You don't want to do that. Last year, Toronto-Montreal, we headed back to Montreal. Montreal got fans for Game 6. The first time there was fans in a building in 
how long in Canada. And it's like, you just don't want to do it because you're under the gun in game six. Game seven, the Raptors have no pressure on them. If it goes back to Philly for game seven, there is no pressure on the Raptors. It is all on the Sixers. This Raps team will go into Philly loose, relaxed. So this is as close to, like, you don't want to use the game must win, but this is as close to a must win as Philly's going to have. If you can't somehow pull this off in Toronto, it's, it's going to start to feel like Toronto did when they faced Montreal in Game 7. You're like, this is over before it's over. And this series is starting to feel like that. Nobody's ever done it in the NBA. Nobody's ever come back from 3-0. But you just see the confidence. You see this team. You see the way they do this every series. The Raptors have always been terrible to start series. But then they just keep adjusting better than anybody else does. And if any team all time was going to blow a 3-0 lead in the NBA playoffs, it's going to be a team with Joel Embiid, James Harden, and Doc, Doc Rivers, Rivers, who has blown 100%. three 3-1 leads in NBA history. He's blown three of them. So you just look at a team who's going to blow this, and then you see this. This team got booed off their home court, only down, what, 10 at half? Booed yeah. off their own court. The, the fans gave up with four and a half minutes left and just left the stadium. They're only down nine. Down nine they, with like, four and a half minutes left, and the fans are like, yeah, bye, guys. <laughs> They, they, they felt the traffic was more important, which, funny enough, it ended up they, they were correct. I mean, as a fan, how ridiculous is it that you know, right? They just felt it. And, I mean, TNT and, and you know, they, they talked about it. The panel, you know, Shaq and, and Ernie and uh, and Chuck, they like they all talked about this shit. Where they basically were like, this is a must-win game six. And I tweeted this out earlier um, at Zach Over 6, but I, I tweeted out. I said, hey, like, we're talking about how this is a must-win game six. And then Chuck kind of said, well, they're not going to win game six. And I'm like, well, which one is it here? Because if this is a must win game six and you don't win, if the Sixers don't win this game, then what you're saying is the Raptors are winning game seven in Philly. And Philly, the Raptors are not a more talented team. They're, they're not. I, I just, they don't have the best player in the series. They, I mean, like that's I mean, James Harden was, was, was an all-star two years ago. He looked awful last night. Awful. He had wide open threes that normally, and again, he's, he's getting older. And he's one of those guys where you could say like, ah, it is what it is. You can say, well, Embiid got heard the whistle, blah, blah, blah. They just didn't show up. And the Raptors are just showing that they, they just, there's something to be said about having been there and not that all of their guys have been there, but there are guys on this team who've won championships before. This is a championship coaching staff. This is a championship organization. And sometimes that is just, it's it's better to have that than having the best player on the on the court. Yeah, I mean they don't have the best player on the court. Joel Embiid is the best player on either of these teams. There's no doubt in that mind. He's going to get an MVP votes. He might win MVP. He's arguably the best player in the league this year. Uh, when it comes to like everybody else though, like James Harden's not who James Harden was two three years ago when he was the, one of the best scorers in the league and all that fun stuff. He's crossing over people. That's not James Harden anymore. So the Raptors might have the second, third best players in this thing, but you just see the difference. I mean, we've talked about them all year. Scotty Barnes just back in the lineup, being around the team more, being on the floor. This guy just brings the energy. The, his, everything around him, he makes a difference on the team. Pascal Siakam has just stepped up huge. And he's been massive these last two games. He's made a big difference. These are two of his best games he's had this playoffs. And it's just, it's just been a big difference between him and Pascal. They've been doing this without Freddie. So any Philly fan who's going to see, oh, Embiid's injured. We've had Gary Trent Jr. barely play. We've had Scotty Barnes miss games. We've had Freddie miss games. Do not complain to me about injuries. Because Joel Embiid's 
torn thumb or whatever it is, where he will need surgery. It's an injury. The Raptors are going through with way more injuries to some of their most important players. So you watched Gary Trent Jr. even the last game. He is arguably their best ball handler. Like, Freddie and Pascal are great players, all-stars, all that fun stuff. They're not great ball handlers. Gary Trent Jr. is a good ball handler. He's a scorer. And then you're just missing guys like Scotty Barnes. He's arguably their most important player. Again, maybe not their best player, but you just see the energy he brings these last two games. Like, I'm just so happy to have Scotty on the floor. And this team, you knew they weren't going to lay down. They weren't going to lay down. You watch the Nets, they laid down. They didn't care. You knew that was going to be a sweep. This Raptors team was not going to lay down. They're not going to lay down in game six on Thursday night back in Toronto. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. That building is going to be buzzing. Like that is almost a must get ticket going to that game. Some stats from the stat sheet. I just want to bring up really quickly. So most, so if you look at the two players who had the most minutes on the floor, Pascal Siakam played 43 minutes, uh, double, double 23 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists. Um, Number two was Scotty Barnes, 40 minutes uh, and 44 seconds. And then Ananobi was, was 39 minutes, Gary Trent 38. Uh, and everything else was kind of split. A um, couple of takeaways, Cam. So, you know, you talk about the most important player on the floor uh, being Scotty Burns. I mean, obviously, Pascal, if he's not playing well, they lose. I mean, that's just – it is what it is. I mean, the guy's an all-star. And, you know, if, if your best players aren't your best players, as a Leafs fan, I've discovered this the hard way many times, is that you don't succeed if your best players are not your best players. And Pascal was. I mean, he made really clutch buckets down the down the stretch. Um, you know, when the Sixers kind of came in with six 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 points, I think it was in the fourth quarter early on, uh, they were down by, uh, you know, Pascal just really dug down deep. Uh, the big thing that stands out to me, though, is is if you look at Scotty Burns' stat line, he was 12 points, so not, not super effective offensively, except for that he led the team in steals. He had three steals. Like, defensively, this guy is an absolute monster. And that's what you need. Like, this is what we talked about. Like, when we talked about game one, and obviously game one, there was a refing discrepancy, and, and overall, they just got dominated. Uh, but the biggest thing that we talked about, that I talked about and ripped them on, was they made ter- they were bad. Def- they, they played fine offensively. They were horrible defensively they did not make any adjustments and what have they done since then in the five games that they've played the Sixers have scored less and less points as the series has gone on and they only scored 88 points and so they've and 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 second to that the player that do you know the player that I was most impressed at at that game I want to say it's the guy I'm thinking of who's not getting talked about as much but I don't know if it's a different guy Precious Achua Precious Achua yeah same guy Oh, yeah, same guy. Unbelievable. Like, you watch this cat. Like, he played hard yesterday. He was unbelievable. And, I mean, if you look at his stat line, he wasn't even bad. He had second most points of the team at 17, seven rebounds. Um, he's just dri- you he's know, driving four, and beat three crazy. Three blocks. He's driving and beat it's, crazy. It's, it's insane. And, like, he's – and and he's, and he, again, a young guy. 22 and years old. And this is, 22 years old. This is – this is what the Raptors do better than anybody else in the NBA, in my opinion, is they find, and, and this this all goes back to Masai Ujiri. Masai Ujiri has an unbelievable ability to find talent in the most unlikely places and drafting. So number one, he draft guys who people are like, oh, maybe like, like it's, a, it's a reach. No, Scotty Barnes, rookie of the year. There you go. Didn't mention that. Uh, we talked about it before, but Scotty Barnes, officially rookie of the year. So it was a reach, quote unquote, and rookie of the year. Then you get guys like Precious Achua. He trades Norm Powell for Gary Trent. You're like, oh, no, I don't know about Norm Powell. No offense. Gary Trent uh, is younger and is the same, if not slightly better ball handler. Great addition. 
right? Like you just look at like up and down this lineup and you say, you know, arguably this Raps team, if you look at these names, like this is not a star-studded team, but the way that they play defensively, the pieces that they've added in, man, Preston Chua to me yesterday was super, super impressive. I get in like goosebumps just thinking about it because watching that game, man, he just absolutely went into Embiid and was afraid of nothing. And you could just see like Embiid is starting to just like, he, he it almost looks like he's afraid. Now, later in the game, he had a lot of fouls, but think about it this way. If you are, I think Embiid had one foul at the half and he had four fouls before the six minute mark in the fourth quarter. Like the only reason you're fouling that much is that you're getting rattled. Like you just, you do not have the ability to, to not, to not foul. Like you just, you're, you're, you're trying to force it too much. You're, you're, you know, pushing in the lane, you an offensive foul and, and you're just, you're trying too much. And that's kind of what happened. I think that's amazing for the Raptors. So you have to keep that momentum moving forward. And that's what you need to do. You, you limit what you can give, give them the shots that you need to do. Cause I mean, if you look at, um, I mean, he's hurting everything, but like Embiid's still at 20 points. It's not like Pascal at 24 or sorry, 23 and Embiid at 20. Like you didn't, he 20 points is whatever. He had 11 rebounds. Like he, he still had a decent stat line. But the next closest guy was Tobias Harris at 16. James Harden only had 15. Like Danny Green, 14. Like it's just you, you exactly what I said. You give them some of the some of the shots you need to do. You clamp down as hard as you can defensively and make the other guys beat you and re, and or limit that secondary shooting. They did exactly that and got the 10388 dub. Yeah, it's just so many little things here with this team, things that are going everywhere. And here's kind of a comment I want to make. Like is Embiid perfect purposely playing up this whole villain thing? Like, is he this? Uh, like, you just look at game one and stuff. Like, the way he's like, oh, and like game two or three or whatever game he was getting in Nick Nurse's face saying, you need to respectfully stop whining about the referees. That was game two, I think. What is Embiid doing now? He's just constantly whining about the refs when he's losing. Playing into it more and more, clapping, doing all this stuff. Like, he just has to be playing into being a villain. Like, I don't really know what to say, like, He's super unlikable. I mean, it's we're definitely biased Raptors fans. We, we saw him a couple years ago in 2019, the crying Embiid face. Now we got this and stuff. He's super unlikable, which is definitely somewhat biased being Raptors fans. But, man, I just, like, he's got to be purposely playing into this villain role. He might be. I think the, I mean, chirping at Drake that he's coming for the sweep, I really hope comes and bites him in the ass. Because you know that Drake's going to release a diss track. Like, it, it's it's inevitable. Right. And and I look at I think the biggest takeaway and kind of like I don't want to talk about it all night. I mean, I do because I'm hyped about it. But I mean, I can't say it any other way because, you know, the expectation that I had was we were going to lose in six or lose in seven. Right. That's what we talked about. Right. That's what the head. That's what the head said. The heart you want to win. But the head like, okay, they probably shouldn't win this series. But what we've seen from the pieces is what's the most exciting thing to me is they had no business. In my, like in my opinion, I think they, you know, we still thought they lose, but they would go far, but they had no business winning. And I look at this and say, yeah, okay, sure. They still may not win and that's fine, but you're still rattling these guys who many people have said that Philly was a, a, one of the picks to win the, the, to win the Larry OB and the Raptors are. So this is the thing is that either the Raptors are the most is one of the most underrated teams in the NBA right now. Or the Sixers are just super overrated. I don't know which one it is. The Raptors are constantly underrated, and 
that's the thing. I'm just really happy I'm not looking stupid on my word of I was going to be more shocked if the Raptors got swept than if they won the series. So that's looking like an okay uh, take now. So I feel good about that. But I'm just looking forward to game six. Like, it's going to be a ton of fun to watch. <clears throat> I can't imagine being in Jurassic Park on Thursday night. That's It would be insane to be there. That entire arena, the ACC is just going to be rocking on Thursday. And I really hope we get to see game seven on the weekend. It'll be super exciting. This is, this is again, like, so, like, say it with, like, doing it with your head. Let's look at it from a momentum perspective. If the Raptors do win game six with TNT and Chuck and Charles Barkley and, and, and Shaquille O'Neal and everybody saying, like, okay, you have to win if game six if you're the Sixers. Do you not, like, do you not think that the Raps, if they win game six, win the series? Because it kind of, this going back to what I said about momentum, like, it just kind of feels like it. Yeah, again, like I said, we're just in that same feeling like Montreal-Toronto last year where it was Game 7, and I don't think a Leafs fan thought they were winning Game 7. Once it got there... I, I, I thought... I, I came out and said that it was time, because it was. Like, you needed to do it. But, you, but you as soon be, as Montreal scored... Yeah, as soon as they scored an overtime in Game 6, as a Leafs fan, you thought the series was over. Deep down, you knew. When they scored... It wasn't even then. I thought they had a chance... Because let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, the Leafs on paper was a much better team. They, they just were so, but as soon as Montreal scored the first goal in game seven, it was over. I knew, I knew it. I, it was in the first period. It was not that it was pretty early on. And I was like, Oh fuck. It's over. Here's my argument. It was, I mean, here's again, my argument. Philly's probably top end talent better than Toronto's Toronto's deeper. What gets it done in playoffs? As we've seen in the NHL over and over, you don't see it as much in basketball, but depth can win. Depth and coaching can win. And defense, defense, <laughs> Well, defense especially, and I mean, if the Ra- I mean the Raptors just have to keep doing what they're doing, and the, the 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 best part is, and this is where it's beautiful thing to be a Raptors fan right now, and a beautiful thing to be a Raptors player. You have no pressure, zero, nope, none. No team has ever come down from three zero, and I love Nick Nurse's comments about well, teams have come back from three one, cheeky, super cheeky, but I love it. I mean, oh, I loved it, hundred percent. But this is the thing is, is like no team has come back from 3-0. It's going to happen sometime. It, it's got like it almost has to, right? Like it's it's somebody has to be the first. And why not? Why not the Raptors? There's been lots of teams who have came back from 3-2. Would it not be yeah, very true, Cam? <laughs> yeah, that's a good quote. But like why? This is the thing is, is like I would not be surprised if they won the series. I would not be surprised if they lose the series. But either way, I'm fine. I'm good either way. If 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 our buddy Sean wants to to tout, that's fine, dude. You have up three one and you lost two in a row. Like the fact that I didn't get a response on a couple of my tweets is it speaks oh, volumes because worried. you have to be worried. It's really what it uh, was. It I forget who said this, but I think it was Jordan. I think it was Michael Jordan. Was like it's really easy to chirp. It's really easy to chirp when you're up. It's really difficult to chirp when you're even or down. And that is the difference between winners. And I was like, damn, that is fucking savage. And it's so true. Like, if you're going to chirp when you're up 3-0, you knock yourself out. When it's 3-2, you should still be chirping. Because if you're not chirping, you don't have confidence in your team. If I was up 3-2, I'd be like, nah, Raptors fucking got it. It's game over. Done. Whether I'm right or wrong, I did the same thing with the Leafs. When the Leafs were up 3-2, I was like, nah, Leafs got it. We're good. Have suck. Blah, blah, blah. And I was wrong, and it sucks. But, but the, this Philly team just reminds you so much of the Leafs team, and like trust the process, uh, all that fun stuff. Like you just see it so much. Like you're like just 
these star players who can't get it done in the playoffs. It's just the same thing as like, there's just so many things that this Philly team and these Leafs team have in common. I know it sucks as a Leaf fan to kind of look at it that way, but it does. It's it hurts, but <laughs> it's true. It, I mean, you you can't you can't just disregard it because it is true. So anyway, I'd love to talk about the Raps all night. I know we got other stuff to get into, but um, I, I think I think kind of closing thoughts on the on the Raptors right now is is I think as I said, either way, I think the the great and I, and I and I'm gonna go back to this. I said well, it wasn't when we were doing our podcast, but I said this before the Raps won their champions in 2019. I said I would trade ten years of bad Raptors for one championship. And I and I still maintain that, but I think the most exciting thing for me is is that they're not far away. They are they are one, they're one more Scotty Barnes. They're one more free. Like they are that close. They need a center. They get a center, and they and they ha- they legit have another crack at it. You get you get Scotty Barnes who he beefs up a little bit. Like he if, just becomes yeah, a little yeah. bit stronger. If Scotty Barnes more experience. If Scotty Barnes can figure out how to handle the ball better, because I don't trust Freddie to handle the same way I did Lowry. Or something. If Scotty Barnes can be that ball handler and they get a center, this team's right in it. And this just goes back to trust Masai. No, you have to. Like, and this is why he's, he's sticking around forever. If you don't trust Masai by now, I don't know what you're doing with your life. So, anyway, Raptors, Sixers, Game Six goes Thursday. Um, yeah, I mean that's much watch, must watch. Oh, TV. You got to be one hundred percent. Oh, one hundred percent is going to happen. Um, all right, let's get into um, what do you want to go next? You want to go Gee? Or do you want to go Jays? Where you yeah, go? let's go a little close to my heart. So everyone knows who Guy Lafleur here is. Uh, he passed away lung cancer within the last week here. And it just goes back to Montreal doing it better than anyone else in maybe professional sports, but for sure the NHL. Even as a Leafs fan, you can sit here and say, Montreal does it better than anyone else. And when it came to the entire presentation, the way they did it, the song they use, everything about the presentation for Guy Lafleur is... It was a big-time game. It's versus the Boston Bruins. Montreal has no ads on the boards. All they have is the name Guy Lafleur, the years he was born, and a black-and-white Montreal Canadian symbol on the board ads. Do you know? I don't know the amount of money you lose for having no boards ads for an entire game, but Probably it's got to be significant. And Montreal just does little things like that right. And you're seeing guys like Ryan Whitney, who, again, he's a Boston native. He played for... Edmonton, he's played for a couple other franchises. Not a huge Montreal fan overall. And he's just like, everyone you see is just tweeting out like, Montreal does it amazing. Guy Lafleur was a great player. Hall of Famer. Multiple Con Smites. Multiple Stanley Cups. I think it was five Stanley Cups. Uh, he was my dad's favorite player growing up. So he's a huge reason that I'm a Habs fan. Everything around it, it was kind of cool for me to watch everything. And then you just see the fans. The fans of Montreal at the Bell Center in presentations key, like that. Key. Ten straight minutes of cheering. They're cheering right through Michelle Lacroix trying to get them to be quiet for a moment of silence. And you saw a couple writers online being like, oh, what disrespect by the fans. Michelle Lacroix is like, I would have found it disrespectful if they didn't keep cheering, keep giving a standing ovation for a guy like Guy Lafleur. For us, it's probably Guy Lafleur is a little before our time, so we probably don't know the impact he had on the game. But you talk to anybody else, he just was that true French-Canadian playing for Montreal Everyone's seen the couple of the videos, like that slap shot of him going down the wing with that hair flowing in the ice. Like there's so many cool moments I had my dad's favorite player growing up. So it's just a reminder how good the Canadians do everything though. Everything means more to the Habs and we've lost two legends of the game in the last couple of weeks here, Mike Bossy and Gail Fleur. So it's nice to kind of 
again, these are guys before our time, but kind of look back on some of these stats and everything <laughs> they've done. You saw Mike Bossy, nine straight 50-goal seasons. He had 50 goals in every season he played. You see some of the stats like Lafleur did, everything he was for the Montreal Canadiens. Just uh, even little things at the end of the game. You saw Nick Suzuki and Brennan Gallagher wanted the Montreal Canadiens, even after a loss, to stay on the ice a little longer, point their sticks up to the number 10 in the rafters. It was just a cool moment, even in a loss, a tough year for Montreal. It's... It's a tough moment and you feel for Guy Lafleur and his family and friends and seeing the Habs alumni in the stands. Just, again, such a cool thing. And it makes me proud to be a Habs fan. Whether Think what you want about the franchise, but it's moments like these that I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool to be a Habs fan. Everything, they do it right. Yeah, and I think I think anybody can acknowledge that outside of it. I mean, they, I mean, even the start of the year, they got the torch lighting ceremony. I mean, they really the only other team that you could argue that that puts on a better show. Uh, I mean, history aside, but the only other team that puts on a bet, like as good a show would be uh, Vegas. That's it. They're the only other team, in my opinion, in the entire league who puts on a show. But it's Vegas. I mean, that's how. That's yeah. what their whole city's built on uh but the 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 difference there though is is that it's it's rooted in tradition uh that's the big thing with the haves that differentiates them from 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 most teams um you know and that's where you know kind of the leafs it's it's you know they're unfortunately a little bit too corporate i think that's the difference between the two is the leafs also have a really deep history they do it's just you know the the haves do not and, and you know every team in the nhl is corporate it's all about money but the Habs are different from everybody else where their traditions and the way that they do things is 100%, as I said, tradition rooted. So doesn't matter. Like it's, it's just absolutely insane. And you know, you probably can't find anybody else who loves their team more than Habs fans. I'll give you that. Um, I mean, Leafs fans are probably second, second in that. I, I, that's the only thing. There's more Leafs fans than there are Habs fans, 100%. But, but Habs fans are, like, I mean, let's call it what it is, dude. If they don't get a French speaking coach, they fucking boo him out of the area. Like, they, like, like, I mean, what other fan base has that power? But you just like, like, it's hard to compare games, but you just watch a game, watch it at the Bell Center compared to the ACC. And the fans just know the game much better at the Bell Center. And again, that goes back to maybe a little more of the corporate thing. And it is getting better with the Leafs year after year. Like there was early 2000s where it was absolutely horrible. Like where I'm not even sure there was a cheer in the ACC. And it's getting better, but there's just something different about Habs fans who were there, who are there for events like this. It's just different. I mean, we could do got a little give a little shout out to the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. I don't want to do it, but also Matthew hit sixty goals tonight. Sixty, baby. I know I you want to, to talk. I know you want to talk about it a little bit. Uh, it is impressive. It just sucks that it's the highest scoring season in what eighteen years now, and that's what it takes for Austin Matthews and the Leafs to actually get a sixty goal season. I mean, seventy three games. So you can suck it. I mean, if he played all eighty-two, he might have seventy. No, because he's too—he's too soft to play through injuries. So, I mean, okay. So here's here's one of the things that I, I just want. Yeah, I mean, you can say whatever the fuck you want. You're not in the playoffs, so. Uh, okay, so let me let you me just go the second with, round. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. Um, so, Matt Cause from TSN ten fifty tweeted a, uh, a poll. And basically was like, okay, out of all of these things, I'll, I'll read it out. Uh, if you can only have one of these over the final two games, which do you choose? And it's two wins, uh, two Austin Matthews goals, and that's it. And I tweeted back, it's got to be 60 for Maddie, but third and most important option should be no injuries. 
That's the biggest thing that I was that I care about. Um, if Matthews was stuck at fifty eight, like this is just me being a f- yes, it is one hundred percent awesome that he hit sixty. He didn't get Stamkos, um, and stuck at fifty nine or whatever he was stuck at. Um, yeah, I'm I'm good with that. I think that's amazing. I think it's awesome. But I think the health of your players prior to playoffs is the utmost importance. I think these last couple games are horrible. Um, they're not playing the, all their good players are, should not be playing the last game. You may play Campbell. I don't know who you're going to play just for a warm up game, but you, you really need to worry about their health. And that's what they did with Matthews. I mean, he had a minor, minor ailment. Um, and they sat him for three games. I a hundred percent would do the same thing. Put him in the last game. If he gets 60, great. Cause he's not playing next game. So now that he's got his 60, that's it. If he was at 59, he's playing the last game. You have to, right? Like, they don't think you have a choice. But now that he's not, now that he's hit 60, no fucking way. He ain't playing the last game. So I'm good with that. Uh, I think it's an amazing accomplishment. Good for him. 1673. Um, not going to sit here and say that's the that he's the go. But, I mean, at 60, he's locked up the heart in my eyes. I, I think it's over now. UOC ain't hitting 100, so... He also hit 90, which we hadn't seen since 1995. McDavid is now setting career high in points. It's just such a weird thing. Like, again, this goes back to the Mike Trout thing in baseball, too, is you're comparing McDavid to McDavid. You're not comparing McDavid to the rest of the league. If you compare McDavid to the rest of the league, he wins the heart every year. But you're comparing McDavid to the rest of the league, which is tough. Stamkos didn't didn't get the heart when he got scored 60. So 60 shouldn't be an automatic heart. I know you're arguing the 73 games, but to me, there's also a huge impact if you can play all 82. That should add to being the most valuable player. Yeah, I don't. Which Matthews I don't disagree. cannot do any season. And that's where some of that's a little weird. Like, I don't know where to go with that. But yeah, like Matthews, I think will probably win the heart this season. I could argue Yossi. I could argue McDavid. We could even argue Shesterkin a little bit here. He's probably going to win it, but. Uh, it's still an, it's a, it's an impressive season. It's looking like Matthews in five years from now, if he doesn't go to Arizona, he could be the best leaf of all time. He's doing that kind of thing, which is really impressive and a little sad at the same time for the franchise for how long they've been together. They don't have any remarkable players, I'd say. Like they have some really good players who played for the franchise, but I, you just don't compare it to like even a lot of the other original six where they've had true standouts. But uh, what Matthews is doing right now is exceptional, and this season is incredible what he's doing. Again, it's a little weird seeing, like, you're seeing Yossi get the most points by a defenseman in years. You're seeing McDavid break his point record. You're seeing Matthews score these. This is a really high-scoring season. It's the highest-scoring season in the salary cap era. So, do we... Is that just because people are getting better? Because the goalie's equipment size hasn't changed, or just the goalie's quality is going down? I, have, I actually don't know. I have really no idea why it's better. I, If I'm being honest, I haven't watched as much hockey as I tend to in the past, but it's the highest scoring since the Sour Cap era came in. So some of these stats I think you need to look at, you need to kind of, now you're putting it back into perspective of like, not quite when Gretzky played or stuff like that, but it's different than like Ovechkin's prime. The year Ovechkin scored 65 is still maybe the most ridiculous goal scoring season I've ever seen. He won the Hart Trophy that year. And so it's just some of that stuff that I don't know how to compare these eras or even these years because this is sort of the same era. But what Matthew is doing is incredible this season. It's nice to see him hit 60 even as a Habs fan. So it's good for Leafs fans. It was a nice moment tonight, I imagine. So, Well, after I, I didn't watch it. I'm doing this podcast, so it is what it is. But, I, I mean, the only thing that I look at is, is that 
Um, just in terms of heart, he's going to finish fifth overall in points probably. And he's, yeah, going to be five better than Dreisaitl, which, by the way, Dreisaitl's got 55 goals. It's not like he's got like, – it's, it's not like it's a runaway. No. So, I don't know. From what I'm hearing around the league, like, it definitely seems like he's got it locked up. But um, 100% we're going to see. Too bad Yossi didn't get the 100 because he would have – Yeah, the craziest thing is, it. like, he's locking it up at 104 points at the moment. McDavid is 14 points ahead. Like, that's significant. Like, that's – you're you're like fifteen to twenty percent more points over the season. Like that's significantly ahead. But this is where you just talk the argument where McDavid's competing against himself and not his peers. Yep. No, I I hundred percent agree. But anyway, way to go, Matthew. Sixty. Love to hear it. Love to see it. I'll watch those highlights tomorrow. Uh, Blue Jays currently down four uh, two against the Sox. Another remarkable start by Kevin Gosman. Uh, Jamie Garcia blows it tonight. It looks like they're probably going to lose this. Still got a chance to win this series tomorrow or today, as you're probably listening to this. Uh, so again, they haven't lost a series yet. It's going to happen at some point. They're not winning every series. If they do that, they're in great position for the playoffs. But uh, Ke- yeah, they Kevin Gosman, another big one. See, this is the one Jake there. Jake's not a fan of Kevin Gosman, but this guy just threw up nine Ks, zero earned runs over six innings. That's pretty impressive. Again, this guy's looked unbelievable to start the year. We were talking about Manoa and giving Manoa a ton of credit for how he started the year and looking like an ace. Kevin Gosman is taking that Robbie Ray spot and running with it, doing just as good, if not better, than Robbie Ray. Uh, so, yeah, just super impressed by Kevin Gosman again. Again, this is Jay's team. It's not The game's not actually over. It's not over. Like we, you're down two, you're down two runs, yeah. dude. Like that's not. We, we've seen the Jays, but it it looks like they're going to probably lose tonight. It's not over for sure, but uh, another big game by Kevin Gosman. This team's just going to be exciting all year long. Sitting, they have fun, eh? Don't they? Man, it's just so much fun. You just you watch like anybody I talk to, they just love the bromance between Bichette and Guerrero. Those guys just have fun. You see Guriel get into it. This home Bichette run- and 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 Springer. You just see, like, everyone get in the home run jacket. Chapman got it the other day, and he didn't know what to do. Like, because you got to go pose in front of the camera once you put it on in the dugout. And some of the guys haven't been doing it. They're like, ah, no, I don't know. Zach Collins was the same way. And the guys are like, no, no, you got to go pose. You got to go to do, go stand in front of the camera and do a pose. And just, like, this team's just fun. Everyone's fun to cheer for. Like, we were talking about the Raptors. We're talking about Embiid. Like, how do you cheer for that guy? How do you not cheer for every one of these Jays right now? They're just so fun. Uh-huh. It's so fun to watch the dugout. It's so fun to watch the celebrations. They're making baseball fun. It's it's amazing that num- t- two things. First of all, we agree on three out of the four teams that we like to watch. That's always fun. Number two, they're they're definitely having the most fun out of everybody, and winning helps that. But it also helps when you just have likable characters on the team. I think that's the biggest thing. So, um, anyway, I don't go too long. We got a interview coming up with Jake here. There's two things. So that you did this to me last time at the end of uh of the episode i'm gonna do this prior because we're just gonna do the 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 interview about the draft and we're gonna get out of here um because it's probably gonna probably gonna take some time so but i want to bring this up so um this is the first time eight teams in the same conference have reached 100 points in the uh in the same season this is the uh the eastern conference in the nhl uh florida carolina the leafs the rangers the lightning the bruins the pens and the capitals uh is so i i guess I, I, the, the point i'm trying to make here or, or the question i have for you is is the eight teams that have done this um are they just that much better than the rest of their conference and are just elite teams in the NHL, or is 
the bottom half of the Eastern Conference just that bad. I think this year it's a lot to do with the bottom half of the Eastern Conference being really bad and really injury hampered. Uh, I was looking into this a little bit because you kind of mentioned it to it. So I got a little head start from compared to last week when I threw questions <laughs> on you. Uh, guy. The bottom half teams in the Eastern Conference have more man games missed significantly than the top half of the Eastern Conference. So that's one thing. Like Montreal set the uh, NHL record by over 140 games difference than anybody else. So there's a huge reason why Montreal is so bad. And even a couple of the other teams near the bottom have. The other thing, big thing, is the goaltending on the bottom half of the Eastern Conference. Most of these teams have missed significant games with their goaltending in compared to the top half. So goalies are important in the NHL, if you didn't know. I mean, as a Leafs mm-hmm. fan, at least mm-hmm. fan, you're quite concerned about goaltending. Or a little, yes. a little concerned about goaltending. Maybe not quite concerned. A little bit. Uh, so that's Campbell's a, had a good month. So that's a big difference there too. But so I think it's a little mixed. I think there's some really exceptional teams like Florida. Toronto, Tampa, like these are exceptional teams. Tampa's back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, and they're they were battling for third in their division. Carolina, we know it's a phenomenal team. They're just so well-rounded. And Pittsburgh, New York, I'm not as high on. Washington, not as high on. So I think there's a good mix of both here, but I think a lot of it has to do with the injuries to the lower half teams, and just I don't think their teams are as good. I think that's fair. I look at I look at the points. I mean, there's 18 point discrepancy between eighth and ninth so i think that's the biggest thing is that they're really the bottom half teams yeah they're 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 just not there injury even you know considering injuries i mean every team in the league has injuries for sure we have man games missed and all that kind of stuff i get that i i i totally agree with you though i think it's just the bottom half is just not they're just not there and i'm not taking anything away from any of the teams that are top eight i mean they've played unbelievable hockey um by the way, the Leafs are going to finish no worse than fifth in the entire league uh, in terms of point in terms of points. So, um, you know, just a bit of a tout. I mean, Florida is probably going to win the, the President's Trophy here, um, unless Colorado wins all their uh, the games and Florida loses them all. But because Florida's been good, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I like that. I think that's fine. The other one I have for you is I think it's a good take. I'll, I'll leave that be because I think enough's been said. Uh, the last one that I have for you is NBA related, and it was uh, TSN posted this graphic, but it was which team was more disappointing this year, and it was the LA Lakers who missed the playoffs or the Brooklyn Nets who got swept in the first round by the Boston Celtics. I'm going to go with the Lakers here because the Lakers have almost screwed their franchise for five, six years because of everything they've tried to do here. If you look at the there, – there's lots of boards on what they've traded away and what they've brought in. They haven't brought in much, and what they brought in is old and not as productive as they used to. I know LeBron had a crazy year. That's because there was nobody else to get it done. Like, yeah, guys in the NBA can have crazy years if they're the only person shooting. Um, again, we, we've talked about it. We're, we're a little lower on LeBron than a lot of people. He's a great player, maybe the greatest player I've ever seen. Number two. I'll, Number I'll two ever see fine. true time because I never really got to see prime Michael Jordan. I've seen the videos. I've seen the highlights. Uh, this Brooklyn Nets team was just awkward. Like James Harden, the whole trade there. Ben Simmons is the Kyrie thing was weird. Yeah, like everything with COVID and Kyrie. Like again, that's his personal decision, so it kind of screwed the team. But I don't know if that's really like I I don't know if I want to put that in the disappointing category. It's just kind of awkward because you have the right, as we've mentioned before, you have the right if you don't want to, and it sucks you have to miss out on games and disappoint your team. But you have that right, so I don't know if I really want to put that in the disappointing category. So it's just kind of an awkward year for the Nets. Durant always has injury concerns, it seems like, every year. So 
it disappointing for the Nets for sure, but I don't know if it's on the same category as the Lakers to completely miss the playoffs when everyone thought you should be competing for the Larry LB and you're just not very good. Uh, I'm going to go with the Nets as the most disappointing team. I'm going to disagree with you slightly and only because the, you know, the Lakers, I mean, people argue, oh, well, it's injury this, injury that. I never thought the Lakers team that they built there was that good. I mean, they, they won the bubble season and that's all fine at Danny this year. I looked at their team and I was like, eh, I don't know about this. I, I just didn't think they had enough gas. I mean, I look at all the other teams in that Western conference. Um, and I was like, they're just not as good. And Brooklyn, they really touted it as like, Hey, this is the next super team. It's KD. It's Kyrie. It's James Harden. Um, with that massive trade. And I'm like, and then, then Ben Simmons, I'm like, man, like this is nuts. And then Ben Simmons, no shows. James Harden is not the James Harden of years past. Kyrie um, just lays down and dies. <laughs> uh, and then you've got KD who's going to KD. I've seen way too much KD slander. I mean, he did what he could with the team that he had. That's the more disappointing team in my eyes because I look and say they actually had, in my opinion, more talent than the Lakers did, and they got swept by the Celtics. Jason Tatum had his way with the Brooklyn Nets. And, I mean, <laughs> you can say the Knicks are disappointing all you want, but Brooklyn this year, they were primed and ready to go, and they – well, they didn't have James Harden, sorry. They got traded. That was traded back to Philly. I, I, I misspoke. But anyway, bottom line. Ben Simmons it, never showed up, so. Ben Simmons – but that was the thing. Is, but the, that whole trade – sorry, I misspoke. But the whole trade – the whole idea with that trade was is that Ben Simmons was going to take the place of James Harden, who went to Philly – and he was – this is what I meant to say was that he was supposed to take the place of James Harden, and he didn't play. The one tweet that I sent out today was is that Tiger Woods broke both legs and almost had a leg amputated and came back before Ben Simmons. But his feelings were hurt. Well, that's what's really important though, isn't it? Yeah, Apparently. That's a touchy NBA subject. Is soft, that's a touchy dude. subject. <laughs> the NBA is just fucking soft. That's the only thing that I can say about it. But And to me, it's the Brooklyn Nets. And, and unfortunately, KD couldn't do KD things. But I, I think – the other part of it is, is that I think just the Celtics were just unreal. I think that's just the other part is like they, they just looked like an absolutely unbelievable team. Jason Tatum, uh, I mean, he was a nightmare for the Raptors the last couple of years, and he just <laughs> this guy's just a really good basketball player. I mean, I can't really say much too too much more about it. That Celtics team looks really really good. They they do. They just they, uh, you know, if if after this round after this first round, it wouldn't surprised me if they made it all the way to the NBA Finals, frankly, the way that they're playing basketball. So Yeah, I thought the East was all the heat, but the Celtics are definitely going to make a good run for the Heat's money here. And I uh, still think the West is better. Jimmy Butler's hurt. Yeah, Jimmy Butler's hurt. And then we've seen uh, Kyle Lowry miss a couple games here too. So the Celtics have a good chance of getting to the Finals here. I still think the West up top is a little better than the East, but you never know. You never know. You never know. All right, do you want to get to the uh... – the NFL draft talk. Yeah, I think we need uh, we need a little more advice. Miami has no picks this year, so we need Jake to step in here and uh, give us a good interview and give us a lot of tips here. And you know, Jake will give us a few bets too. Well, it's 2022, and as we always do, I mean, we can never Cam go, um, you know, more than a week without talking about the NFL. It just no, we it just we can't. It's 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 the best league in the world. It's definitely the most talked about. So, uh, with that, as we did last year, we brought on our draft expert. Should we bring in the draft expert? 
Yeah, we should because I have absolutely no idea on this year's draft. Uh, Miami has what one pick? And haven't haven't done much research. Yeah, I don't know exactly when. So we're gonna let we're gonna let the expert kind of take it over. We know that we have some listeners who are really into the NFL draft, and usually we are. But our draft pick was uh, Tyree Kill this year. That's really who we got. So we're gonna bring in uh, Jake Cowell from NFL Blitz dot me. And he's going to walk us through uh, the first round of the draft here, give us some picks, give us his expert opinion on uh, some best bets. And Jake, welcome once again to the show. Glad to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. So, uh, yeah, I guess we can just jump right into this thing. Well, before, before we do that, I just got to do, do one thing. And that's, uh, I mean, anytime we, we have NFL talk, um, there, there's always a, a specific theme song that we like to play. So should I, should I cue that up? Might as well. It's the over six NFL draft 2022. And it's just good to hear that theme music come back. Thursday night football theme. And what are we, like, four, four months away? Less? My kid's due in, in two months, so preseason starts August, this is July, so August, yeah, we're like three months away from pre, preseason. So I can't start soon enough. Um, all right, Jake, we're going to start off with, uh, we're going to start off with uh, pick number one. It would be weird to start at pick 30. Jake. The Jacksonville Jaguars at one. Who are they taking? Yeah, so number one, I got the Jacksonville Jaguars selecting Aiden Hutchinson, uh, edge rusher from Michigan. All the talk lately has been all about Trayvon Walker being the number one selection, but I just don't see it. I've had Hutchinson here for a while. It's the safest pick. I mean, Balky's fighting for his job. You want to go with the safer pick here. Maybe Walker does have more... uh, risk and reward but I mean Hutchinson's going to be double digit sack guy potentially right from his rookie year he's going to change the whole dynamic in that locker room he has great leadership skills it just seems like a no-brainer pick for me here so you're telling me they're not going with a quarterback in the first round I don't think so you're going to give Trevor Lawrence another year yeah, I mean, new new coaching staff too I mean they spent enough money on the offense I mean this he he's going to have a big year this year well, they better do something. And I think we'll get you back on when we do our um, – this is just the premise, but we'll get you back on when we do our um, win prediction. We usually do that in uh, – right before the season, week or two before the season. So we'll get you back on for that because I'm interested to hear your take on how many games the Jags are going to win with all those Yeah, I, I think I'm going to flip a <laughs> coin for most of the AFC this year. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, the number one overall pick, though, I think it's got to be Aiden Hutchison. You just look at it, it's a layup. It's the guy, you're not going to regret taking Aiden Hutchison there. Sure, Trayvon Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau, in three years down the road, they could be much better players. But you just know what you're getting with Aiden Hutchison right now. With them franchise hanging Cam Robinson, signing Brandon Scherf, you just know they're going edge here. I mean, I think there's a chance the edge rushers go one, two, three, from what I'm hearing and seeing. So Aiden Hutchison is just a safe pick. You know what you're getting. Sure, Walker, Thibodeau, they could have more potential, higher ceiling but i think they have a way lower floor so for jags organization that's always such a debacle anyways aiden hutchison is a smart easy pick and 
I sh- don't think they should go another way, but I also don't trust their organization to not be dumb. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's that's the end of the day. It's the Jags. There's a reason that they're picking first again, back to back. I actually kind of think that it would be great if they had a lottery draft in the NFL. I don't know, Jake, how you feel about that, but I mean, I think the NHL kind of has it right. It does suck, like you know, sometimes, but it really does kind of stop the tanking, which has kind of been in this offseason a bit of discussion, eh? Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about that. I mean, like, I just don't know from my point of view just because I've never seen it, the NFL have a lottery, right? So I'm not sure exactly how that would uh, work out. But also a reason why I don't really like it is because, like, you got teams like a Carolina at six, for example. Like, they don't have that bad of a team, and they're picking near the bottom, draft lottery if they get some of that luck could get up to the first or second pick right and get one of those generational talents one year so nfl it's just a little bit different to me than the nhl who you got number two uh so this is where i kind of go off the board a little bit um i'd love for them to take an edge rusher here but i don't know i i penciled this in a while ago and i stuck with it but i got the lines taken icky Ekwanu, the uh tackle from nc state I Detroit does have a really good line right now, and they just took Penny Sewell last year, but just putting him in on that offensive line, I just really like what it looks like. You got Taylor Decker, uh, Iki Ikwanu, Frank Ragnow, Penny Sewell. Like, you're trying to build up your offense around a potential young quarterback soon. Just putting him behind that offensive line, it just, I don't know, it scares me thinking about trying to stop those guys. But, I mean, I would... Ikwanu... Aquanu just seems like a Dan Campbell kind of guy too. I've seen a lot of a couple of people pencil him in here too. It's a little off the board, but he just seems like a Dan Campbell. Exactly. Kind of guy. I mean, like the phrase "bite kneecaps" is a little bit outdated, and it's kind of getting a little much. But I mean, like he's the perfect fit for that kind of uh, slogan. Yeah. Anyone you talk to just says he's a nasty player, and that's just he just fits right into Dan Campbell and the Lions. I still kind of see them going edge here, but it wouldn't shock me if they go in Quanu here. He just seems like a Detroit Lions, Dan Campbell kind of player. I mean, and the Lions, they're not that far off. As as bad as their record was last year, I mean, they were really on kind of the wrong side of a coin flip, a couple of coin flip games. I mean, if not for a 60-yarder 60, 60 field goal by the Ravens, add an extra win there. At, you know, there's a couple, couple games where they lost by only three points, right? So... You know, it's. I think the record wasn't necessarily indicative of where they are as a team. The biggest question mark, obviously, is what they're doing at quarterback, which kind of sucks considering that they had a now Super Bowl quarterback there. But um, you know, unfortunately, you gotta you know let go of some some old guys to stack the cupboards for moving yeah. forward. And in our world, the Lions were great at covering. Exactly. So yeah. We talked about that all year, just how like, they were always going to be that pesky, annoying team that you'd think would be an easy game, but you're going in actually nervous and this whole this whole draft process i haven't been mocking detroit a quarterback with any of their picks i think they're in a perfect position to build up some uh skill players around it and then go for a quarterback next year get rid of jared goff's contract and then i actually think they're going to have a pretty good young exciting team yeah so then next year when the quarterback class is significantly better projected to be significantly better obviously we we actually don't know but um, you know, that, that's when you kind of take advantage of, of that situation. Um, so then next up, we have the Houston Texans at three. Uh, where do you see the Texans going considering that the rest of their team's kind of a dumpster fire right now and they really have 
nobody since trading Deshaun Watson away. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, what do you give a team that kind of needs everything? So, I got them taking Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Edge from Oregon. I mean, through this whole process, he's been one of my favorite players. I mean, he's been getting ripped apart in the media for his attitude, his consistency, his lean frame. He gives up on blocks when he gets uh, engaged. But, I mean, the talent's there and the ceiling is sky high. I mean, this guy is fun to watch. Uh, I've been on Kayvon Thibodeau ever since I've seen a stat. It was when he's on the field, or when he's off the field, quarterbacks have 4.2 seconds from snap to pass. And when he's on the field, it's all the way down to 2 seconds. So, yeah, it's the Pac-12 and it might not be the SEC, but, I mean, a stat like that where it's 2 whole seconds just when he's on the field is ridiculous. And, I mean, Houston has a long history of taking the long pass rushers. I mean, Mario Williams, J.J. Watt, Jadavion Clowney. Just kind of fits the mold of what they've always gone, and it's never a bad idea to build up from the edge rusher position. Yeah, this is one of the picks I actually feel the most confident about as I'm going Thibodeau here. And with all the concerns about him, he still has arguably the highest ceiling out of anybody in this draft. There was a while there where he was the number one pick in this draft easily, so... For me, I think the Texans, with the amount of draft capital they have after the Watson trade, it makes sense for them to take a chance on a guy like Thibodeau with that ceiling because they do need everything. But why not take a guy who could be the cornerstone for your franchise for the next while? So Thibodeau, I think this might be my most confident pick of this first 5-10 because I don't feel very good about anything in this draft. But Thibodeau to Houston just makes a lot of sense. So, Jake, I got a question then. So you've redone your draft about how many times? Oh, over 100 I mean, I was sitting at work today on lunch okay. going through my phone redoing it from the one I did last night. <laughs> so, so why, why do you have the tech? I read, like, you know, I'm just looking at one of the, on, I'm on NFLBlitz.me right now looking at NFL Mock Draft 2, which this could be, you know, 30 days old for all I know. But originally you had the Jets taking Thibodeau at four. What kind of made you switch that to the Texans? Um, I just, he's... When I made that one last month, I think I was buying a little bit into more of the media knocking them down. And when I try to do my mock drafts, I try to do it more off what I would do and not what I think's going to happen. I did say it's probably 30% chance what I think's going to happen, 70% what I would do. And honestly, the top, my top 10 has changed probably every time I've made one since I've done it. It's just kind of thinking about how a player fits onto that team. And then looking at maybe how he fits on another team, and you're like, oh, I kind of like him there better, actually. And I mean, the Jets don't have an awful little line, and I don't think Edge is their priority. And I mean, they brought Carl Lawson in last year. Unfortunately, he missed the year hurt. So it's not like Edge Rusher is a desperate need for the Jets right away. So that's why I went with the Texans. So then who do you have the Jets with taking at four then? So Jets taking at four, I got Sauce Gardner, corner from Cincinnati. Sauce. <laughs> I mean... One of the coolest names in the draft, and he, he backs it up on the field. I mean, this guy's awesome. He, uh, Everyone knew what you were getting with him. He had the long, lengthy corner, excellent in press coverage, can put him on an island. And then when he ran his 40 and showed everybody that he had the speed too, he just skyrocketed up draft boards. He was already pretty high, but I think he worked his way into the top five uh, conversation. Uh, Jets have uh, some decent corners there. I think they got... Um, who was it? Bryce Hall and uh, Michael Carter the second they just brought in last year, but they don't have that true number one lockdown corner. Those guys are more of like slot zone cover corners. But 
Sauce Gardner is just, you can throw him on one side of the field and you wouldn't have to worry about him for the whole game. Like Nick Saban uh, in the yeah, I uh, think... playoff game there, he was just throwing random wide receivers out there to uh, his side because they knew that they weren't going to be able to do anything on him. I'll definitely be stealing a little bit of Daniel Jeremiah's here, but I kind of see them going sauce as well. They added DJ Reed. They added Jordan Whitehead to the secondary. And I think you just add a true kind of number one corner in sauce Gardner here really is just going to help Robert Sala's defense. You know, kind of what Robert, Robert Sala wants to do. And I don't think he's been able to do it with the Jets team yet. So you kind of add those three guys to the team and Gardner being one of them. And I think it's just going to help that defense huge in the secondary. This is all assuming that the Jets are not trading every draft pick they have for the next five years for Debo Samuel. I mean, who's been? I mean, I feel like the Jets have been let down more than Falcons fans in their entire life in terms of players that they've missed. Because man, like they, these guys are like every time you see, oh, this player is available, it's like, oh, the Jets, the Jets are all in. I'm like, they're all in on anybody who has a fucking pulse, like like anybody who's caught a ball in the NFL. They're like, yeah, I mean, we'll get, we'll give you whatever you want for this guy. Yeah, the Jets. I feel like the Jets so. have missed out on almost every free agent that they've been trying to get this year too. Because nobody wants to go to New York, and it's not even New York; it's New Jersey. Like, let's be let's call it what it is. Like, no, again, I I feel really bad if we have a listener in New Jersey because I slander New Jersey like no tomorrow. But, like, it is what it is, man. You're not like everybody knows that of out of the New York teams, the Jets ain't it. They're just this is like the same with same with Brooklyn, like in the NBA. Brooklyn is not the team of New York. Everybody knows it's the Knicks and the Jets are no different. Uh, speaking of New York, at five you have the Giants. Uh, who do you got the job? Where do you see the Giants going? Um, new head coach in um, in New York, and Dayball. So it's kind of his first kick at the can here. What? Uh, what do you think makes the most sense for his scheme? Yeah, so this might be the uh, farthest you see this guy going, but I got Trayvon Walker finally going to the Giants at five, the uh, edge rusher from Georgia that's been getting all the talk at number one. Uh, Jets, or Giants, sorry, have two picks in the top seven, so I see them going pass rusher and offensive line. So with the two top pass rushers already off the board, I think it's a no-brainer you uh, take Walker here. And he's probably going to go ahead of that, and they probably won't be able to get him, but... You're drafting this guy for his athletic traits and his potential. Like his potential is like Thibodeau. Like his ceiling is so high. He doesn't have very much production in the pass rushing game just because of how deep Georgia's uh, defense has been. But the guy's athletic traits, and he showed us at the combine in his pro day, is astronomical. Like he could, uh, they could use him in almost any any formation, really. Yeah, I think the easy part here for the Giants is they're going to go edge rusher and they're going to go offensive line with these two picks because you got the Panthers in between their two picks. Uh, and yeah, if Walker falls this far, that's the pick. If any of those other two fall that far, that's the pick. If not, I think they're going to go Evan Neal here depending on what happens ahead of them. I think they're just – these two picks are going offensive line and uh, edge rusher, and I just don't know which two are going to be available there, but they'll be happy with any of those guys. Well, let's jump right into number six because number six is kind of important to one of our listeners, and currently we have the Carolina Panthers there. Um, so, I mean, the Carolina Panthers, and this was like when when Cam and I talked about our way too early predictions, NFL predictions, I mean, this was like a month ago, um, and kind of what we thought was going to happen next year in the NFL. I had the Carolina Panthers winning their division. So... 
I mean, this is prior. I think this was prior to Tom Brady coming back. But either way, I kind of stand with it because I really like what the Panthers have done overall. But, Jake, what are they missing that they possibly could fill in, in this draft that could kind of push them uh, one step closer to sealing that accomplishment? Yeah, so funny you talk about the Panthers there because I have them trading down from this position. Oh, we have a trade. Yeah, we so have a trade. I got the Pittsburgh Steelers making the trade up to number six. Now, a lot of the old school people are going to say, oh, the Steelers aren't going to trade up. The Steelers aren't going to be that aggressive in the draft. But I think it works hand in hand here with Carolina. Carolina has one pick in the top 100. And uh, I think they're going to trade down, try to get as many picks as they can, try to get a second round pick through this trade as well. And Pittsburgh wants a quarterback. So this will be the first quarterback off the board, and I got them taking Malik Willis from Liberty. So Willis isn't going to start this year. He's an intriguing prospect, got the arm, got the leg. He can sit behind Trubisky in Pittsburgh for a year. But I like Pittsburgh taking a QB here because I think they do have a solid foundation already. The old line could use a little bit of work. But you play in a division where they got Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and their quarterbacks, Mitch Trubisky. No disrespect to Trubisky. <laughs> I do like Mitch Trubisky, but he's just not going to get the job done in that division. So I think you have the potential to take Willis here, keep him on your roster for a year, prime him to start next year. So why, um, why, why would the Steelers trade up this year and not just try to build draft capital for, for next year? Like if, if Willis is going to be sitting on the bench behind Trubisky this year, would it not make more sense for the Steelers to try to even even themselves trade down or do something to give them more capital, try to get you know one of the prospect quarterbacks for next year? I think this year is the only year you can really – like there's not really a true elite QB class. So this is probably the best opportunity for Pittsburgh to trade up. Because, I mean, they'll be drafting around the 20th mark again next year. And all those top two tier QBs are probably going to go one, two, three. All they're going to be at the top next year. So Pittsburgh probably won't be able to trade up next year. So this is their opportunity. Trade up with a team that is trying to trade back to gather some draft capital and get a guy that has a super high ceiling that they can kind of groom into be what they want. Kind of fits the way that division is going with how Jackson can run the ball, how Watson's a mobile guy as well. So I think Willis will be a good fit in Pittsburgh. So I, I, I just want to point something out here. So you're saying that they're going to have the 20th pick next year. So that I got, I, I have to point this out. So what you're saying is, is that the Steelers are going to have a above 500 record again next year. You know, they're going to finish around that. In that division, you know, Cleveland, Baltimore, Cincinnati, they're going to, they're going to finish nine and eight or something like that. It, Come was, on. it was more just a rough guess to the twenties and it could be 15, but you know, that like, their defense is good enough to win them at least five or six games. Yeah. And then their offense will probably get them a couple. Like I think they could go eight and nine, eight, eight, one, nine and eight. It all depends. Mike. Yeah. Mike, Mike Tomlin and this defense is too good to not be close to 500. It's, they're going to be close to it. I don't know if they're going to like compete in the AFC, especially for a playoff spot, but they're going to be close to 500. This defense is still really good, and Mike Tomlin is a really good coach. I'm sorry, I, I just am mind-blown. I'm like, have you seen the AFC? Because I'm assuming, Jake, that, that the Steelers are going to lose both to Baltimore. So oh, that's just my assumption. I don't know. You know. Actually, I was thinking yesterday when I was thinking about uh, records next year, and 
in the AFC North, I could see every single team in that division going three and three in the division. Each team winning, each team beating each other once. That'd probably be the best way to put it. And like, even in the AFC North, too, when one team's so far ahead of the other, they don't. It's never usually like a blowout. It's always been a close game between Baltimore, Pittsburgh, but Baltimore, Cleveland's been always been a close game. Well, in recent years, sorry. And then, I mean, except when Cincinnati beat the crap out of us uh, last year, but that was last year. Oh, we've seen it in the AFC East for years. Miami, for some reason, always beats the Patriots once a year. No matter how good the Patriots have been over the last 10 years, Miami always wins a game for some reason. And by the way, they beat them twice last year. I feel like I have to tout that because uh, fuck the Patriots and fuck Mac Jones. Uh, Number seven, Jake, we have the New York Giants again. And I'm assuming they're not going to trade this pick. They're going to they're gonna take somebody at yes. seven here. There has been lots of talk about them trading down just because they might not be able to afford two top ten picks with their salary cap. But, I mean, this is just too good to pass up. Like They're going to get Trayvon Walker at five, and I got them taking Evan Neal at seven. So you're getting a top three tackle and a top three edge rusher in the same draft. Like That's just unheard of. Uh, Evan Neal can do it all. He has generational talent at uh, tackle. He's a good pass blocker, good run blocker, and New York's in desperate need of a right tackle, and they got to get Saquon some help. So Evan Neal makes the most sense to me here at 7 after taking Walker. Now, if Walker wasn't available at 5, I would have them taking Evan Neal at 5 too. So uh, Giants got probably the best draft in, uh, for me here, and it's just been two picks. Yeah, it just that's the that's the ideal draft for them. If they do that, that's just absolutely they hit it out of the park here. And I yeah, I see Evan Neal just the way the things are going to work out being theirs. So whether Trayvon Walker is going to be there or not, they got a couple other edge rushers. Maybe they can go at seven. But Evan Neal to the Giants almost seems pretty sure whether it's going to be five or seven. And these are two guys who they'd pick up then in Walker and Neal, who have been talked about in the last couple months as the first overall pick. So if you pick both those guys up at five and seven, that's just a heck of a draft. So it'd be a great job by the Giants. So let me let me ask you this then. So there's been a lot of talk about by next week the Giants have to pick up the fifth year option on on Danny Dimes. Um, is this the is this kind of the last audition years? Maybe the wrong way to look at it, but is this kind of the last kind of kick at the can for for Daniel Jones under under Dayball? Where, you know, it's like a year of the new coach. He's got the old quarterback and says, okay, yeah, after this, you're done. See you later. Yeah, absolutely. You brought in Brian Dable to try to rejuvenate. Maybe not rejuvenate, but get the most out of Daniel Jones. And if he's not doing it this year, you have two picks in the top seven. If you can't get as much as you can out of him this year, then he's not the guy. And they got to move on. And they'll be poised for a top pick next year so i definitely think this is the last year for daniel jones unless he shows us something that we haven't seen yet so do you pick the option up i personally wouldn't he's had long enough and you haven't really seen anything out of him so i personally wouldn't be picking up his option what's the risk like i don't want to spend too much time on the giants but like what's the risk of picking up or or of not picking up the option like if he has an unreal year then Next year, if you want to sign him, you're paying him more money than you might be paying if you pick up the option this year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, I mean, who, I, one of our guys in our group chat said that Danny Danny Dimes is throwing Danny pennies, and I had a good I had a good chuckle at that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we'll see if he's throwing pennies. Now, I want to get to number eight because this is something 
that uh, that the coach GMs, one of our group chats, has been chatting about a ton is the Atlanta Falcons pick. And let me guess, you have Desmond Ritter going at number Yeah, eight. you're right about that. Uh, no, actually, I do have him taking Desmond Ritter, just not right here. I mean, as much as fun as it would be to uh, take him here, I don't think everybody would understand what we're talking about. But... Uh, I and okay, I'll I'll provide some backstory. Uh, our, our buddy, our buddy Ryan, is a big Falcons fan, uh, and he basically is signing signing off that he's gonna disappear from everywhere if if they essentially it's gonna be the the greatest catastrophe since twenty eight to three if they take Desmond Ritter at eight. So we've been really pounding it in that uh that they're taking him but but you don't have him taking Ritter at eight that's fine who do you so got I got them taking the guy that Ritter's going to be throwing the ball to and Garrett Wilson wide receiver from Ohio State uh he's my favorite wide receiver in this class I think he's the best wide receiver uh out of every player he's probably one of the most I've watched film on uh just watching him run routes is sickening he's got unreal release if you don't get a hand on him at the line of scrimmage he's probably going to beat you and who's Atlanta's number one wide receiver right now? And Auden Tate or Old Kyle yeah, Pitts? Like, Zacchaeus? Kyle, Z- Kyle Pitts is, is Zacchaeus their still there? No, Kyle Pitts is their number one yeah, wide receiver. Exactly. Everybody knows so, that. So, like, Auden Tate, Demir Bird, and Olamide Zacchaeus are their wide receivers right now. So, they could go many ways here. This was probably one of the hardest picks I had, actually. Like, could they take an offensive lineman? Could they take Kyle Hamilton? Could they go edge rusher? Ultimately, I just gave him first crack at a wide receiver here, and uh, that's Garrett Wilson. Yeah, I agree. I think they're going Garrett Wilson here. I've kind of seen some people talking Drake London, but I think they're probably going to end up going Wilson here. I don't think either is a bad pick. They clearly need wide receiver help in Atlanta. You got a couple good ones in this draft from the sounds of it. I know it's a deep draft for wide receivers, but there's a couple guys up top here, but I think Garrett Wilson's probably the way they're going to go here. I like it. I, I prefer the drama, but I mean, it is what it is. If, if they have to actually be smart as opposed to what the Falcons usually do, then that's fine. Um, number nine, we have the Seattle Seahawks. Um, the, the Russell Wilson less Seattle Seahawks. Uh, so where it, it's the first, it's going to be the first year without, um, without Russ. And this is kind of the, the start of a new era for Seattle. So, Obviously, they are doing fine at wide receiver for now. Their quarterback is questionable. What's kind of the where? Where do you go with them now that Russ is out the door and in Denver? Yeah, so I know there's a lot of talk with people saying that they're going to go quarterback here, and I just don't see the value at nine. I uh, they're a prime candidate to maybe trade back if they're interested in a quarterback in the mid picks, but top tens is too prime of a position for them and. They got so much draft capital from Denver in the Russell Wilson trade. They can do whatever they want for a quarterback kind of down the road. If they want to trade for one next year, if they want to trade up for one next year, or even if they want to trade up for one this year, just a little bit later. But I've always been a big believer in building up your offense before you draft your quarterback. So I got Charles Cross, the offensive tackle from Mississippi State, going to Seattle. Uh, Their offensive line is awful. It's... uh, I mean, Russell Wilson's has the most sacks almost every season. He's had the most sacks every in the last 10 years. So Seattle's just going to build up that foundation for whoever their quarterback may be. Maybe next year they trade up to draft one or who knows. So 
again, I, I don't want to sound too much like a broken record, but is this again another spot where they're like, okay, we don't need a quarterback. If we suck this year, uh, again, we have that quarterback class next year that seems like it's more promising with more elite prospects, and we're going to have the draft capital to really get the guy that we want. Yeah, so, and another thing too with the quarterback class this year, I don't necessarily think it's as bad as people are saying. It's just, if you look at it though, none of them come from big schools or none of them have kind of like a big outgoing attitude or stuff like that. Like, Matt Corral from Ole Miss is probably the biggest school out of all the top quarterbacks. Like, you don't have your Alabamas, your Clemsons, your Ohio States, your Oklahoma. So I think it's the class is getting a little bit disrespected just in that area just because they don't have that uh, recognition as much. And next year, you don't really know what you're going to be getting with the quarterbacks. Like, Bryce Young's probably going to be the number one overall pick next year. And after that, that's about all you know. Like, DJ Udalele there from Clemson had an off year last year. He's one of the top quarterbacks. Spencer Rattler had an off year last year. So next year, you just really don't know what you're getting with those guys. And then this year, they obviously have done all their research on them, so they do know what they're going to get them. And this is just, like, me mock drafting this just from watching tape looking up uh, other mock drafts. I don't know what the Seahawks have done, any research on uh, the quarterbacks. Maybe they like someone a lot more than I do. So, never know. This is, the best way to look at it is, this is where they are now, and who knows. Yeah, I just see it. There's too many big question marks on this year's guys. It's not that it's going to be a terrible draft year for quarterbacks. It just seems like there's a lot bigger question marks on each and every one of these guys than a normal year. So for Seattle to go top 10 for one of them just I think is off, especially when nobody else seems to be that high on the quarterbacks either. To kind of reach here would be off. If they traded back and got somebody, it would make sense. But yeah, to kind of take one of these guys here doesn't make a lot of sense to me. At number 11, we've got uh, everybody's favorite team. The Washington Commanders. Did we skip 10, Burke? Oh, did I skip 10? Do you not want to talk about the Jets again? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I did skip 10. You're right. I did skip. Yeah, it really is. It's New Jersey. Jersey. Okay, fine. We'll do the Jets again. Is it just like, I just feel like we keep going back to the same. How many more, like, how many teams have two or more picks in this draft? Like, four? Yeah, there's quite a bit, actually. Yeah, there's there's a lot of. Well, I think definitely more than that. But, I mean, that's what you get. Like, I mean, this is why the AFC is so stacked. Like, look at all the movement that you've had in, in some of these big-name talents. Okay, I skipped over 10. Whoops, let's go with the Jets from the Seahawks. Um, so, remind us who you had the Jets taking at, uh, oh, what was that, five? Yeah, four. four. Sorry, four. What, who did the Jets take at yeah, four again? Yeah, so you got Sauce Gardner at four. And they're taking at 10. Jermaine Johnson, edge rusher from Florida State. I've kind of been on the fence about Jermaine Johnson. I've seen a lot of guys have him ranked really low, and then now it's coming out just the past couple of days that he could possibly go top three. Uh, his age is a big knock on him. I mean, he's already 24. He's played uh, six years. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, he's played six years in college. He just transferred to Florida State from Georgia last year, which is another concerning thing where he couldn't crack a spot in Georgia's starting lineup, so he went over to Florida State to make a name for himself. He did a pretty good job. But, uh, yeah, he's probably the best edge setter in uh, the draft class. Not as polished as a pass rusher as like Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau. But him on the other side of Carl Lawson and Quinnen Williams in New York, I think that's going to be a pretty good defensive line there. 
How embarrassing is it that like we're saying that it's like, oh, he's, this guy's old. He's over the hill. He's 24 years old. Like that just makes me feel old. Yeah, and he's younger than us. That's brutal. Yeah. See, this is the this is the first pick where I really see them going a different way than Jake. I really see they're gonna go wide receiver here. So we kind of both kind of agree Garrett Wilson's probably gone. I think they're going to go Drake London here. We've heard all the talk that they wanted Hill. They've wanted Devontae Adams. They want Debo badly. So if they don't get rid of this 10th pick to trade for Debo, I just kind of see them going the wide receiver route with how badly they want another receiver in that room. You got a couple good guys here. So I think really could see them going Drake London. I think he could complement Elijah Moore really well. Yeah, and I've, I've flip-flopped with them with the wide receiver so many times as well. Uh, yeah, it's, to me, it's definitely edge or wide receiver. I don't see them going any other way or trading down. And I've had them trading down in a few scenarios too, but uh, this time ultimately I went to uh, Jermaine Johnson. This was one of those times where it's like I'm doing my mock and I'll have Jermaine Johnson really low and then everyone's talking about him as like a top three pick. And I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I should probably look into this guy more, reconsider this a little bit. So that's why I ultimately went with him to the Jets. Well, speaking of wide receiver, a team that defi- I definitely think needs wide receiver help to help out Scary Terry and somebody for Carson Wentz to completely miss with a throw uh, would be the Washington Commanders at 11. And, yes, it is the 11th pick, just in case anybody's following along. I, I got it right this time. Uh, Jake, do you see the Commanders taking a wide receiver here? I don't see them taking a wide receiver here. Uh, I haven't hidden Kyle Hamilton, safety from Notre Dame. I just, yeah, positional value, I get that, but I can't believe this guy's going to fall that far. And I think Washington's a safety net. They just got rid of Landon Collins, and I don't see them passing on this opportunity. A couple months ago, Kyle Hamilton was going second overall to Detroit in a lot of mocks, and then he was going third to Houston in a lot of mocks. And then he's just been falling ever since. People don't think he's fast enough. They uh, don't think the safety position is valued enough. And, I mean, it's not. It's uh, not a very high-value position and often gets overlooked, but he's just so good back there. You can line him up anywhere on the field, and he's going to make a play. His closing speed's fantastic. His ball skills are fantastic. He's built like a linebacker. He can play in the slot and cover tight ends. He can do it all for their defense, and pairing him with Cameron Crow, I think, is going to be a pretty nasty safety duo. Yeah, this is, this is like the easy pick. For so long here, I thought Kyle Hamilton was like an easy top five pick. And now I actually really don't see him top 10, but 11's a safety net. Like, he's going to go 11th to Washington if he's still available here. I don't see them going any other way. And I just kind of see him following out of the top 10 on almost every draft I've kind of looked at or done now. So I think 11 for Kyle Hamilton is kind of for sure pick here. It's one of the ones I feel more confident about. All right, so let's talk about a team that... Um that nobody really cares about, but lost us a ton of money last year when we were gambling. And that's the Minnesota Vikings and, uh, and Kirk. And yeah, their defense was just uh, absolutely abysmal. Is that something that they address this year? Or where do you see Minnesota? going? Yeah, absolutely. So I love this pick for them. I don't like taking this guy so late. I think he's going to go a lot higher. But that's Derek Stingley, corner from LSU. He, uh, his old defensive coordinator in college is the defensive backs coach now in Minnesota too, so it kind of fits hand in hand there. And, I mean, the guy is just an unbelievable talent. If you would have taken his film from uh, 2019, I believe it was, his freshman year, he'd probably be a top three pick as a corner. 
he can do anything. He's has excellent ball skill, excellent clo- closing speed, great impress man. Same as Gardner, you can kind of throw him on an island and leave him over there. And he's kind of the last corner where you can do that. So him and Gardner are kind of the two only press man, isolated corners in the draft class. After you get down to McDuffie and Booth, they're more of that zone slot kind of guy. But Derek Stingley to Minnesota just makes perfect sense. Their secondary is atrocious. I mean, they re-signed Patrick Peterson again, but he's, what, 33, 32 years old now, and he's not going to do it. They've brought in linebackers. They've brought in pass rushers. They're safe. Their secondary just needs a lot of help. Cam, you got anything to add on that? No, I kind of think they're going to go corner here as well. I've kind of gone back and forth in McDovey or Stingley. I think Stingley makes the most sense, but you just see so many people dropping him down based on his work ethic and kind of injury concerns. So McDuffie almost seems like a little safer play, but Stingley's definitely the higher potential, and we all know that. It's just whether what way they go here, but I definitely think they're going to go corner. Well, on 13, we've got uh, another team that has another pick in the top 20, and that's the uh, – that's the Houston Texans. And uh, again, Jake, Houston. So I got another trade coming here. We have another trade. I don't need, we have a trade to announce. I don't usually like doing trades in mock drafts, but you never know what's going to happen. And it's always. It's you got to do what you got to do, man. If, if you think a trade's going to happen, you got you to gotta speak your exactly. mind. Exactly. And I always like making trades if you're coming up. I think I mentioned this earlier today. You make a trade in the first round if you're coming up to get your franchise quarterback or you're a competitor that you kind of just missing that one piece. So I got the Green Bay Packers making a trade up to 13 with the Houston Texans. They're going to take Drake London, wide receiver from USC. So everybody knows that they lost Devontae Adams there and they don't really have a replacement for him. I made a joke to Brady today that they keep on signing all these C-list wide receivers, and that's just not going to get the job done in the long run. And London's a contested catch freak. I mean, watching this guy make a play on the ball in the air, it was ridiculous at USC. And he was on pace to break Devonta Smith's uh, stats from his Heisman year last year, though, before he got hurt with his ankle injury. But Packers love their big-bodied wide receivers, and I really like London here. So, yeah, I mean... One way to keep Aaron Rodgers around is to add wide receivers. Glad they're doing it at the absolute last possible second. Oh, and by the way, they probably should have signed Devontae Adams, but whatever. That's uh, that's another story for another day. I'm sure we'll get into that when we talk about our uh, talk about our wins and talk about our season preview later on. Uh, I don't want to dwell too much on the Texans because we got a team that's near and dear to your heart at 14 here. I'm sure that you've been itching to get to this one. Uh, we have the Baltimore Ravens at 14. Baltimore last year, let's just preface this, Baltimore last year uh, underperformed, but they had a lot of injuries. So I don't personally really know, you know this much better than I will, but where do they need that area of improvement? Because from somebody who doesn't follow them as much, it's really hard for me to pinpoint, you know, yes, this is an area of need because like half the team was injured last year. Yeah, so their biggest areas of need this year for sure on the defensive line, the offensive line, and some secondary depth. Secondary isn't a huge priority for me because you still have Humphrey, Peters, you just brought in Marcus Williams. It's just that depth that you need that we showed that we didn't have last year. Defensive line, Calais Campbell came back and we brought Michael Pierce back as well. 
but it's still kind of missing that piece, and those guys are both getting older. And then the offensive line, the entire offensive line was hurt last year, and they're still missing probably that uh, anchor on the right side. I hum. This was probably the hardest pick for me to do just because it's my team too. Uh, I would be biased in the pick. I kept trying to make guys fall there that I wanted. I mean, Jordan Davis was there, defensive line, Trent McDuffie in the for corner, and then you have those tackles there with Penning and Raymond. But I couldn't make a decision, and I thought this was a good place to trade down. So we got another trade. We have another trade. And I got the Kansas City Chiefs coming up. Uh, the Ravens and the Chiefs traded last year with the Orlando Brown trade, so they do got a good trade relationship there. And I hate being the team that lets the Chiefs come up to do this, but with him still sitting there, I think the Chiefs trade up to 14 to take Jamison Williams, the Alabama speedster wide receiver. You lost Tyreek Hill last year, obviously, to you guys, and what better way to replace it than to move up and take a guy that has blazing speed in Williams. Towards ACL in the championship game, but he's expected to be back close to week one. So adding Jamison Williams to this Chiefs offense is just, I don't know, I don't really want to talk about it too much, so I don't like it. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, why are we taking somebody who's injury prone? Because, I mean, everybody says that two is injury prone and uh, all this kind of shit. So, I mean, guy does, it, does his ACL in? Like, what are we doing here? I'm impressed. That's 39 minutes without two attacks. Well, you know what? I just, I had to say, I mean, he brought up that we got Tyreek Hill, so that's great. But I just have to throw it out there that people always are like, oh, this fucking two guy, injury poem, blah, blah, blah. But now we're taking a guy with a torn ACL last year at 14. I mean, ACL injuries, too, there's never usually any long-term damage, and no one's usually too worried about those after they heal up. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's not what like happens it's not like it's hip surgery or something that almost cost you your career. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's enough out of you. Um, I probably brought that on myself. Um, all right. So Jake, we got Philly at fifteen, and we got Philly at sixteen. So they got back to back picks here. They got a haul. Um, why don't you go fifteen and sixteen back to back, and then we'll 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 get some of our comments in there. But who? Where? Where do you see Philly Philly going? I mean, they had. I mean, here's the thing. I'll just premise this with Philly has a great opportunity this year, in my opinion, in a really, really weak NFC to do some damage. The division is still pretty weak overall. Um, the NFC least, as we like to call it. Um, I mean, they're a shoe-in wildcard team, no doubt about it. In my opinion, they're making the playoffs. And, I, and I, I would bet it today that they make the playoffs 100%. I have no doubt about it with how bad the NFC is going to be. Um, what are their biggest areas of need? And can they capitalize on 15 and 16 here? Or do you see them trading one of these ones? Uh, how old's that sheet you're looking at? They traded know. 16 to the Saints a little bit ago. I don't know. <laughs> they got, they got, Dude, I don't they got ke- 15 and 18. They traded 16 to the Saints a couple weeks ago. Okay, well, it's old case. They got 15, so why don't you do 15 and 18, then we'll move on. So at 15, I got them taking Trent McDuffie, corner from Washington. And at 18, I got them taking Devin Lloyd, linebacker from Utah. Now, I struggled with this with Philly here because I really wanted to take them a wide receiver. But after the top three were gone, I think it's a little bit of a tear. Not a little bit. It's probably a significant teardrop off 
after the first three. And grabbing two elite defensive prospects here, I think that just completely revamps their defense. Uh, McDuffie fills a need at corner. They drafted a few last year, but after Darius Slay, they don't really have that much depth at corner. You can just throw McDuffie right into the slot, and he can play the zone for you. He's aggressive. He knows what he's doing. And then Devin Lloyd is... He was built in the lab in a linebacker perspective. The guy has all the traits you want. He can come downhill. He can go side to side. He has a big frame. He's fast. You can throw him in the middle of your defense, and you won't have to worry about it. Do you see Do you see Philly taking that? Like, Are these guys going to play right away, and you see them making that big difference to try and help Philly win this division? Yeah, I think they'll make an impact right away, and they'll definitely start right away. Uh, like McDuffie's probably one of the more NFL-ready slot corners. Um, he was great at Washington. He has great ball skills. He's aggressive. He's a great tackler. And given their secondary depth, you know he'll be starting right away. And then the Eagles brought in Kaiser White this year, but between him and TJ Edwards, I just don't think that's a very strong linebacking core there. And Devin Lloyd will just start right away. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of Devin Lloyd to Philly in one of these two spots all over the place. It seems like they really kind of want a linebacker here. The only other name that I'm hearing for Philly for these couple picks is uh, Devontae Wyatt. It seems like they're kind of interested in making that defensive line a little younger. So Devontae Wyatt's another name I'm hearing for Philly. So let's go with um, – I'm going to change uh, – we, we know that – I got I got the right list. Now I had an, I had an old one. Sorry. Um, we know the Saints are at 16. We know the Saints are at 19. So I'm going to get you to do the Chargers at 17 first, and then we'll get to New Orleans. We'll do, or sorry, let's do New Orleans first. We'll do New Orleans at 16, New Orleans at um, 19, and then we'll get to the Chargers at 17. Yeah, so Saints fans are probably going to hate me for these picks, but they're two problems. It's not a quarterback? <laughs> no, it's not a quarterback. That's another thing, too. I've been torn with these guys here because I don't believe that you trade all that draft capital to Philadelphia if you're not trying to push for a quarterback but they also signed Jameis Winston for two years who showed last year before he got hurt that he was capable of winning games and I just don't like a quarterback at this position for them so two other positions of need on the offense I got them taking Bernard Raymond offensive tackle from Central Michigan now he's a pretty raw prospect he's only played tackle for two years and a lot of people even have him falling out of the first round but I think he's a great replacement for Teron Armstead. Armstead's a very athletic tackle, and Raymond played tight end for a few years. He's six foot six, a little over 300 pounds. I mean, he's got a little bit of fine-tuning to do, but I think he can turn into uh, a pretty good tackle over there. I know a lot of people are comparing him to Lane Johnson, kind of an athletic version of a tackle that has played tight end before. And then Christian Watson. Now, he's one of my favorite prospects in this whole class. I mean, that guy's traits are freaky. He's super quick. As soon as he gets the ball in his hands, he's gone. He's a little raw as well, like I said, so he's got to work on his ball skills downfield, but getting the ball in that guy's hands, and I think the Saints with Taysom Hill, they've shown in the past that they're uh, capable of trying to get the ball in guys' hands as many ways as possible. So, again, two raw players that Saints fans might not like, but I just like the fits there quite a bit. Why? I definitely Sorry, like go ahead, Cam. Both those. I like both those fits. I just still like, as you mentioned earlier, I just can't see them not going quarterback with the draft capital they gave up. And 
I don't know where they go with this. Is it going to be Kenny Pickett? I just really see them going quarterback here. But uh, I do understand those picks. Huge, high potential guys. Definitely raw, but I just I can't see them not going quarterback with all the yeah, draft capital like traded away. First of I all, I see them trying to use both of them to trade up. Maybe if they really want Malik Willis or someone. I just don't see like at sixteen and nineteen is just. Do you really want to use those picks to trade up for a quarterback in this class that we've already said is not as good as it has been? So grabbing two kind of prospects that could have greatest success in the long run on your team, I just think that's uh, their best bet. But who knows what they're going to do. The Saints are a good organization. They know how to manipulate the cap. They'll, they'll figure something out with those. Why would the Saints fans hate this pick? Is that because you're not replacing the quarterback? Like, is that, is that the reason they hate it? No, mostly because not many people are as high as Christian Watson as I am. And Chris Olave is still there, and I think a lot more people would want him. And like I said, both really raw prospects. And Saints fans are still going to think that they're in a position to compete for a Super Bowl. You're not going to want to take those uh, players that have more upside than success right now so i hate to burst their bubble but they're not they're they're not competing for a super bowl like sorry like no like they're gonna get third in their own third in their division sneak peek into my preview but i think they're getting third in their division and they're gonna they're gonna miss the playoffs so i mean my like (laughs) you've had you've had enough success kind of borrowing from the future at some point, you have to build the foundation, don't you? Yeah, exactly. They got their one Super Bowl there was 12 years ago with Drew Brees, so they just kind of got to move on from the post-Drew Brees area. Like you said, build your foundation up and uh, go out of their gun. Now, I just want to uh, comment that you just shouted out Armstead. What a beauty. Going to be amazing for Miami Dolphins next year. Can't wait. Um I have to throw in any Miami talk that I can because we don't get to talk about them in this draft. So I just kind of feel like I got to throw out whatever I can. Um, okay, so let's let's just let's go backwards a little bit. We have the Chargers at seventeen. Uh, the Chargers, in my opinion, probably one of the most, if not most, disappointing teams in the entire NFL last year. Uh, Every well, year. maybe every year. every year. I mean, you can only blame Anthony Lynn so much. I mean, he's not even with the team anymore, and somehow I'm sure he's still going to get blamed. Um, where did the Chargers need to go here? Because they have, like, they have the ability to win games. They have the ability to be great, but for some reason, once again last year, they just absolutely dropped the ball and couldn't get it done when it mattered the most. So, what do they need to add to kind of take that next step forward? Yeah, so this guy I've had going to the Ravens probably the past month. It's uh, Jordan Davis, defensive tackle from Georgia. I mean, I don't know what else to say about this guy. He's an absolute monster. And the Chargers just brought in Khalil Mack. So you got Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa on the outside. Uh, I think they brought in Sebastian Joseph Day from the Rams as well. But they still got to beef up that defensive line. They got run over last year and... A defensive front with Jordan Davis, Khalil Mack, and Joey Bosa. That's just frightening. Um, Yeah, like we said, the Chargers always disappoint. I bet on them every year to be good, and they're not. Uh, They don't have very many holes. They've had a great offseason. I really wanted to take a tackle here for them, but I just didn't like uh, the tackle class to take one at 17 right there with Raymond going to the Saints right before. So Jordan Davis beefing up that defensive front. You can't go wrong there. 
Yeah, I had Jordan Davis going to them for a while, just with how bad their run game, run to game defense was last year. I thought Jordan Davis was for sure the pick, but then I'm seeing a lot of Trevor Penning in there too. But I'd still lean Jordan Davis here. I just think it's the better pick for them. It just makes that defensive line so much stronger, as you've said, adding Mac, adding Bosa. So yeah, I would like to take Trevor Penning here, and I've thought about it plenty of times. I've done it a few times. It's just I, he's not the greatest pass protector. His pass protection is very raw, and I think a team like the Chargers with Justin Herbert, he's not really the best pick to take to win now with them just because you're going to have to clean that guy up for a few years. So I got Trevor Penn going a little bit later. I was unaware that Jordan Davis switched from uh, country music to football, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Uh, in case anybody's a country music fan, there you go. That's, there, that, that's all I have to add to this conversation, really, besides guiding the way. Slightly different, slightly different frame. <laughs> You never know. Maybe football Jordan Davis can can play the guitar. I love to see a cover. Uh, that's all I have to add to this kind of conversation. I'm just not the biggest fo- the, the college guy, and but I just guide it along as I can, and I can add humor. My wife tells me I'm not as funny as I think I am, but so do my buddies too. So it's fine. I do what Don't I can. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> uh, Pittsburgh Steelers at 20. Yeah, so this is actually the Carolina Panthers after they traded down with uh, the Steelers. So I got the Panthers taking Kenny Pickett, a guy a lot of people were connected to them at sixth. And they can trade down out of second round pick, still get him at 20th, cheaper price, still have the fifth year option. And Pickett makes the most sense, Carolina, for me. He's probably the most NFL-ready quarterback out of all the quarterbacks. He has a strong relationship with Matt Rule. He recruited him out to Temple way back when. And uh, David Tepper, the Panthers owner, is actually a Pitt alumni too. So a lot of ties with Pickett to Carolina. And, yeah, getting him at 20 and, as opposed to 6 makes me feel much better about that pick than if they were to take him at 6 and then not have a pick again until I think it's like 107th or something. I really like this pick. The only thing that I find very funny about this is Sam Darnold and Kenny Pickett aren't that different in age. Yeah, no, I... Uh, Darnold was and, only in USC for a few years, and then Pickett was five or six years in college. Yeah, I think they're like a year apart, so it's not that crazy difference in age, and yet Sam Darnold's already what, played three years in the NFL, so it's interesting that way. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's all I have to say. I, anytime you bring up Sam, Dar- Sam Darnold, I just, I just I have like PTSD. <laughs> Because like this, I or I see ghosts. I don't. I don't really know exactly what happens here. If they don't go, so they're trying to replace Sam Darnold with Sam Darnold. That's just kind of funny. If they don't, I'm putting you on the spot. Maybe Jake. I don't know if you've thought about this, but if the Panthers do trade down here, and they do get this pick, and Pickett for some reason is off the board, where are they going then? At twenty, this far down, I think they would probably take Trevor Penning here. They do need a tackle, and now with getting the second-round pick from Pittsburgh, too, in that trade earlier, I'd have them going tackle in the second round as well. But, yeah, like you said, if Pickett's not there at 20, I think they go along the offensive line in whatever way, whoever's top of their board. And you got Trevor Penning there, uh, Zion Johnson, Tyler Linderbaum center still there as well. So I think offensive line would definitely be the way they go. And even if they stay at 6-2, Charles Cross or Evan Neal or Ekwonu is a no-brainer at 6. Okay, let's move into America's least favorite team at uh, 21, which is the New England Patriots. 
It's Canada's least favorite Can team. Well, yeah. Canada's, Canada's least favorite team. team. I'm pretty sure, like, just, like, everybody has that one annoying friend who's a Patriots fan. Jake, I'm sure you have uh, one annoying friend who's a Patriots fan. This is why, you know, Miami slapping them twice last year was excellent. They got slapped in the first round of the playoffs. That was also excellent. Uh, probably more hated than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Maybe. Don't know for sure. Definitely not for Cam. Uh, where are the Patriots going here? Are they going to try to draft the quarterback to replace Mac Jones? Because he sucks. Maybe maybe soon, just not here. Um, <laughs> so I got the Patriots taking Zion Johnson, guard from Boston College. I've had him here for a while, ever since they traded Shaq Mason. Uh, it just seems like a no-brainer to me. I don't think New England would get rid of Shaq Mason for pennies if they didn't have a plan to replace him. And Johnson's probably the best plug-and-play guard in the class. He's great in pass protection. He's great in run blocking. He has a solid foundation. You can put him in whenever you want. They spent too much money on pass catchers in the last couple of years. I just don't see them going wide receiver here, even with a couple of them on the board. And then with Devin Lloyd off the board too, I was going to take uh, – I like Devin Lloyd there as well as Trent McDuffie, but both are gone. So Zion Johnson has been my pick for quite some time. Yeah, Zion Johnson's a good pick there. You've seen a lot of people think they're going to go wide receiver, but I kind of agree with you. They've just put so much money and so much time into that. You added Devontae Parker there, so I just don't see them going receiver here, although they do need help there. It's just Zion Johnson makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots are just the dumping ground for all the receivers that Miami doesn't want. So, I mean, I don't know why, but that's just where they all end up. So, J 22 is the Green Bay Packers. Now, is this the pick that was traded up? Or was it 28 and more? No, yeah. So 22 went to Houston. I had Green Bay keeping 28. I think uh, Green Bay would give up more picks next year instead of giving up both their first this year. GMs obviously talk, and Green Bay knows that they're in a position this year to make a run for it. Houston's not. We'll have no issues gathering more picks for next year's draft as well. So... I wasn't too aggressive. I was aggressive with Green Bay, but not aggressive to give both of their first-round picks up. So Houston has 22. Green Bay has 28. And and so Houston's going at 22 with... Uh, George Pickens, wide receiver from Georgia. A um, little bit of a spicy take here. I know a lot of people don't really have a first-round grade on Pickens. Coming off that injury, on-field issues, kind of a uh, problem guy, some may say. But the talent is there, and if he didn't get hurt in preseason last year and he played the whole season, you could have been making an argument for him to be a top-five pick. Um, super high potential. One of those few guys in this class that has the uh, potential to be an ex-wide receiver. And Houston committed to Davis Mills this year again, so I think after going pass rusher with their first pick, you got to get him some help there. And Pickens is a big-bodied wide receiver that can get open for him. Davis Mills, one of the most underrated kind of rookie QB last year. The neck. Yeah, I was going to make a drop a pun in there, but uh, I held back. I think he, I mean, it seemed like he was underrated. His, his numbers were decent last year. Like, I mean, consider the team that he was playing on. Like, let's just call it what it is. I mean, he had nobody. Yeah, I was really impressed with Davis Mills last year, actually. He... Made some mistakes, obviously, growing pains as a rookie quarterback. Didn't throw it into the Houston Texans, but 
uh, yeah, he looked really good out there sometimes. So I'm glad they decided to commit to him. A lot of teams would just throw away their quarterback like that and try to get another one uh, either in free agency or through the draft. So I think they're going to commit to him this year and kind of give him everything he needs to succeed. At 23, we have the Arizona Cardinals. Um, now, Arizona, they're going through some drama with Kyler Murray. They played quite a few games without Kyler Murray last year. Probably the next disappointing team, I would say, next to the Chargers from last year. Like, this is just my opinion, but I thought the Chargers were the most disappointing team. And I think the Cardinals, to me, were the second most disappointing team. Um, just kind of the way they started the year and then where they kind of ended up. You can blame injuries. You can blame what they want. They just didn't get the job done. Uh, where does our boy Kingsbury have to go with this team here? Yeah, so I got them taking Devontae Wyatt, the other defensive tackle from Georgia. Arizona's defensive line is either old or non-existent. So a lot of people see Wyatt as the number one defensive tackle in the class, and he could be. He's got an excellent get-off. He is a great pass rusher, and I think pairing him besides J.J. Watt will help open up their uh, second level. They got a lot of guys at the second level, like Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins, that... Uh, like to run free back there, but they don't really have the help up front. So, yeah, beefing up the defensive line for Arizona, I think is just going to help them throughout their entire defense. Cam, got anything to add to that? Uh, that take? No, I really don't. I have no idea, no idea where Arizona's going with this pick. I've been lost. This is one of the ones that I haven't done that much research into because I still have zero idea with it. Let's talk about um, America's second most hated team. It's loved by few and hated by many, but the few that love it are basically the Leafs fans of the NFL, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, again, Dallas, you know, there's always so much hype, Jake, and I can never tell if if this is hype because, you know, the, the fan base that they have are generally polarizing, where, you know, a lot of big analysts and a lot of, you know, really good players who have paid with them in their years of glory in the past are kind of touting their abilities, but... Um, they, they really just didn't perform. And I'm not sure if that's because uh, Dak Prescott is just not as good as they say. Is Zeke not as good as they just say? Uh, Amari Cooper not playing on Dallas this year moved out of that team. Uh, is wide receiver a spot where they need to address in, in Dallas or, or to replace that? Or where do you think they're going to go here? Uh, I don't think they know wide receiver here. I think they definitely could. But I got them taking Tyler Linderbaum, center from Iowa. It's not a very flashy pick. No one likes picking a center, but you could easily argue that this guy is a top five prospect in the class. It's just the positional value. No one's going to draft a center that high, but uh, Linderbaum, he's one of my favorite prospects. I had Baltimore taking him at 14 for the longest time. I really want him on our team. And that was another reason why I like Baltimore trading down with Kansas City in hopes that he may fall to the 29-30 range. But Dallas needs to get back to their uh, the way they run the ball when Zeke led the lead in rushing yards for all those years. And they haven't really had a true center since uh, Travis Frederick was there. So Linderbaum, like I said, not a flashy pick. Don't see Jerry making this pick just because, like I said, Jerry. not very flashy. But, yeah, I think they do great things for their defensive line and or offensive line, sorry. And they already have uh, um, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith there. So it only makes it better. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get to another team that I actually don't hate, despite being division rivals. I mean, you can only 
respect teams. I don't respect the Patriots. I do respect the Buffalo Bills, and mainly because the fan base, man, they have one of the best fan bases in the entire NFL. Um, you know, when you lose four straight Super Bowls and you still love your team as much as they do, uh, yeah. I mean, that was a long time ago, but uh, i got to throw somewhat of a dig in there. You've got the Buffalo Bills at 25. Buffalo, uh, again, a year where, you know, most people thought they were going to go all the way. Uh, you have the the – you know the game of the century, I guess you could say, with uh, with the Chiefs that went both ways. They came out on the wrong end of it, um, and again, we really thought that what whoever uh, came out of that game, Chiefs Bills, uh, was gonna you know win the Super Bowl. They didn't. Um, does Buffalo take a step back here? Or are they gonna continue to kind of dominate? And what can they add here to really help them get there? I think Buffalo is only moving forward, and you brought in Von Miller this year as well. You kept everyone pretty much the same. He brought in Roger Saffold, Mitch Morris. He briefed up your offensive line. Uh, brought in Jamison Crowder for another weapon. I think Buffalo is probably the number one team in the AFC right now. AFC West is going to beat themselves up a little bit, so I think Buffalo is going to be able to take that top spot in the AFC. And I got them just giving Josh Allen some more weapons and taking Chris Olave, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Uh, I'm not as high on Olave as a lot of people are just because I don't see him being a wide receiver one. He doesn't have the frame that you kind of want as your wide receiver one. But the Bills got Stephon Diggs over there, and Olave is going to make a great compliment to him. Uh, he can get open. He can run routes. His hands are good. Um, yeah, just getting Josh Allen more weapons is, I think, what you got to do right now. I don't think Jamison Crowder is uh, – he's good, but he's not – going to deter you away from drafting a wide receiver here. Yeah, every Buffalo Bills fan is probably going to hate me, but I seriously think they're going to go the first running back here. I think they're going to go Brees Hall here. It's the biggest hole on that offense is the running back. It's the one thing they haven't really had. Josh Allen is a run game. And how much I hate to kind of reach for a running back here, it just seems like the Bills, that's their biggest need, and I could really see them going it. I know Bills fans will hate it, but... I could really see them taking Yeah, Brees exactly. Hall. I'm in the same boat. Brees Hall, I've had there a few times. But like we said, the first round, it's tough. I'd like to see Buffalo maybe be one of those teams that trades out of the first round for a team trading in for a quarterback, maybe to the 40 range, take a running back there. Because like you said, it is their biggest need. Um, Allen runs the ball well, but he runs it too much that you want out of your uh, franchise quarterback in his stature. Sorry, not, not stature, just... He's not like a Lamar Jackson or a Kyler Murray where he can't be running the ball. He's not an RB1. Yeah, like exactly. You can just say it how it is. But like, yeah, yeah, like okay, I that's... said, it's just, you, want, you like Josh Allen because of what he does for you with his arm, You and you have the bonus of his legs. So you don't want him taking that extra beating all the time. You want to be able to take some pressure off of him. So, But why, but like why, would, why is it so like a faux pas to take a running back in, in the first round. Like, is it not, like, is this not a league where you try to fill the need, right? Like if you have somebody there who, like, if you look at the, I mean, the NHL is one of those things where like you take, generally speaking, you take the best player available, terrible comparison. Cause you only have six guys on the ice, but you take the best player available and you supplement the rest. Why would you not, if you're Buffalo take your biggest spot of need, which would be running back, like why force it in other areas? It's just all with that positional value. And a lot of teams don't value running backs that high because of their uh, career longevity. They just, you'll get a few good years out of them. 
and sometimes it's not always worth it taking one that high. And we don't have a running back like a Zeke or a Saquon coming out where it's they're going to be a generational prospect. I like Brees Hall and I like Kenneth Walker, but they're just not moving the needle enough for me to want to take one in the first round, despite that being the Bills' biggest area of need. Let's uh, let's move into the Tennessee Titans at twenty six here. We're all, we're getting to the end here. We're almost done here. Uh, we'll get to some best bets here, but uh, Tennessee Titans again. You know they really made a run for it. unbelievable start to the year. Derrick Henry was was unstoppable prior to his injury, and then after he got hurt, I mean they they still managed to win games. They 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 kind of got into a great position and then kind of fell flat. Um, d- does does Ryan Tannehill need? more help offensively i mean considering derrick henry is basically that offense or is is defense really where they need to focus here in this draft yeah so i wanted them to take defense for them and there's still two really good corners available but given their recent history of drafting corners i didn't want to take another one here and their pass rushers are good they got bud Dupree there they just brought harold landry back uh jeffrey simmons on the defensive line so I went offensive here and got Trevor Penning, the tackle from Northern Iowa. And I think that just is going to make Derrick Henry all kinds of happy. He's probably one of the best run blockers in the class after Iguanu and then a few later guys that specialize in run blocking. But Penning's a mean guy. Um, He blocks you into the ground and he'll jump on top of you after. He tries to bury you when he's blocking you. He started fights at the Senior Bowl practice from throwing guys into the ground. He's just a mean guy, and he plays that kind of physical offense that you see Tennessee run, and I think it's the perfect fit for them there. Now, a lot of people have Penning going higher too, but his pass blocking, like I said earlier, just it needs some refinement, so I think he's going to fall a little bit, so I got him falling to Tennessee. Yeah, the only other guy I see kind of here or seeing, seeing around the web around here is Tyler Smith, another kind of nasty guy who fits kind of that – Helping out that run game, he can slide inside or he can kind of play tackle. So I think he'll help Derrick Henry out as well if Trevor Penning does go higher. Like you we'll, get, we'll get to Tyler Smith real soon. Is Tyler Smith someone who's going to the Buccaneers at 27? No, he's not. A couple, couple more picks. Okay, so the Bucks are getting back Tom Brady this year. Uh, presumably they're getting Rob Gronkowski. We don't know for sure, but you might think that his, Tom Brady's boy rides with him until uh, Tom Brady retires, although I feel like somehow Tom Brady has more career span left than, than Rob Gronkowski does, although Gronk was amazing kind of down the stretch in the playoffs and whatever last year. Um, the What do the Bucks have to fill here? I mean, they've definitely lost some – you know they've, they've definitely lost some some of their team from obviously their Super Bowl year last year even um, are are they number one are they going to be competitive this year I mean you could say yes with Tom Brady I mean that's fine uh, but realistically do they have a chance to be competitive even in a weak NFC and if so um, or if not what is kind of that piece they're looking for here this late in, in the first round Yeah no, I st- I still think the Bucks are going to be fighting with the Packers there kind of for that second seed behind the Rams. Um, they do have one of the more complete teams. They are a very hard team to pick. So usually when you get to the end of the first round, these teams kind of have everything put together. So you kind of just want to get where can you get the most value out of grabbing a depth player with the potential to start. So I got them taking Kair Elam, the uh, corner from Florida. 
Uh, he's a long, physical press corner. Uh, will add great depth to their secondary. And you can never go wrong with adding depth to your secondary. Like As a Ravens fan last year when we were using guys that I think were working part-time jobs on the weekends, bringing them up in the middle of the season because we lost so many. So going adding a corner is never a bad idea. I don't, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree. Um, I mean, I, I, the Bucks defense has definitely been, I don't know what can, what did we say all year last year? We said you can, was it, you can throw it on the, you can throw it on the Bucks, but you can't run it on them. Yeah, exactly. Their run defense has been really good the last two years, but their uh, secondary hasn't. So been. there you go. That fits right in Jake with that narrative of adding that, uh, that player there. So uh, the Packers, Speaking of the Packers, you say you're going to compete for that second spot. They're at 28, and this is the pick that they're keeping. They're not trading this pick, I would assume. So um, second pick in the first round here, Packers at 28. Where are they going? Yeah, so I got the Drake London earlier, and now we're going to defense, and we're taking George Karloftis, edge from Purdue. This guy's been another tough guy for me to kind of draft because some guys have him ranked as a top 10 player. Some guys have him as a top 5 edge rusher. I'm... I just don't see it with him, but he's still a great prospect. He is strong, physical. He can play inside, outside. Uh, he was an Ironman for Purdue. He is a little bit stiff, and that's kind of why I'm not as high on him as I should be. But he just gets blocked easier. He doesn't bend as well as some of the defensive linemen where you want to see, so he gets kind of locked on pretty easy. But uh, going to Green Bay, I think they do have a... Uh, Solid front seven there with Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, uh, Rashawn Gary. So I think he's going to open up space for those guys, and he still has potential to be a good pass rusher for them. Well, I can't disagree with you because I just don't care about the Packers enough to <laughs> to dive in and disagree. Um, more interestingly, so you said Kansas City is going to trade up. Now, Kansas City is 29 and 30. Was it the 29th or the 30th? I'm assuming it's the 29th that they traded. Uh, Baltimore got both of them from Kansas City. Both yeah. of them. So, Baltimore is picking twice. Yes. So, we're back-to-back back here, 29 and 30. Hit us with it. So, I went offense and defense. So, I got Tyler Smith, offensive line from Tulsa, and Daxton Hill, defensive back from Michigan. So, like we talked about Tyler Smith just a few minutes ago, he's they he's been called the group of five, uh, Iki Ikwanu. He's a big physical guy that just moves people for a living, and that fits Baltimore's style of play perfectly. They can throw him out at right tackle. They can throw him inside at guard. They can use him all on the offensive line, and he's just going to help their uh, get back to that um, run-heavy offense that they were so successful with, pending everybody stays healthy. And then Daxton Hill is the defensive back from Michigan. Uh, defensive coordinator Mike McDonald just came from Michigan, and I think adding Hill to their secondary is going to make him really happy. Uh, he's an excellent man cover corner, and Baltimore runs a lot of man defense. And super athletic. You can push him back and play high safety. He can play in the slot where he played a lot last year. So I think they address two major needs here with trading back, and uh, I'd be pretty excited with these picks. Is this, uh, I mean, these picks aren't make or break for you guys because really this is, again, kind of as I mentioned earlier, you guys kind of had that the injury bug last year. And, and did they have the most man games missed last year out of every team? Uh, I think Tennessee might have had most, but I know they were really close uh, the whole way. And even if it 
if they didn't have the most man games missed, it was all of our star players that were missing the games. Like Humphrey and Peters, our two top corners, gone. Uh, Lamar with his ankle injury. Stanley's been out for a while. Every single running back. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I don't really want to talk so about So then is it. this is this <laughs> next? So then, la- yeah, no doubt. So then, so then, <laughs> so then, um, like, is this coming here for you guys? is it kind of a discovery year in a sense where you, you don't really know what happened last year. So you got to kind of feel out another year. And then, I mean, these two picks are obviously, you know, filling spots where, where you think the needs going to be, but is this coming year kind of the, okay, Hey, you know, if you're the GM of the Ravens, let's just put yourself in those shoes. If you're the GM, you're saying, okay, last year we didn't really get a great look at what we have because nobody played. Um, and this year in a much tougher conference than it was last year, no doubt about it. Um, you're looking at the whole, the, the big picture and saying, okay, you know, what do we actually have? Yeah. Now, so in an unbiased way, I do think we have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL and I could see Baltimore going anywhere from maybe second in the AFC to ninth in the AFC. And I, I honestly don't know. It's all, uh, like you said, depends on what we do on the field this year. But adding Smith and Hill to two key defensive or key uh, positions of need, I think is a big step forward. Both of them should have potential to start this year. So yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to this year, but I'm also really nervous. But uh, yeah, definitely have a chance to compete this year for sure. No, I think that's how everybody feels about their teams, though. I mean, I know as Miami fans, we kind of feel the same because if it doesn't go the way we're thinking it's going to go, then there's tons of change coming. And as a Leafs fan, that's kind of the exact same thing I feel every year. Uh, we got two more picks left. Number 31 is Cincinnati Bengals lost in the Super Bowl to the L.A. Rams. They went on kind of a, a Cinderella run. Uh, most analysts had them only winning three, four games, max five last year. Uh, if you had the over on that, then that paid extremely well. If you had them making the Super Bowl or, win- or making the playoffs, that also played extremely well. Um, they obviously, Jake, do not need a kicker. <laughs> Our boy McPherson's been unreal. Can you grab uh, my jersey? And, yeah, I mean, you might have to. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's I love that you got the jersey. I mean, the guy is an absolute legend. Um, personally, I don't see Cincinnati making the playoffs this year. I don't. I have Miami again. Biases aside, I have Miami fighting for a playoff spot as I think they probably. I don't know if Tyreek Hill doesn't improve your team by one game, one two games. I don't know what the heck you're doing. Uh, I don't see Cincinnati kind of having lightning striking a bottle twice. Um, but what do they need? What What are they going to add here in this year's draft at 31? Yeah, and like I see Cincinnati, like the same thing I said about Baltimore, that I could see them getting near the top of the AFC, but I could also see them getting around that ninth mark and just missing the playoffs. I don't want to say they were bad last year or it was a fluke. They played great football and they benefited heavily from staying remotely healthy while the rest of the AFC didn't. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Cincinnati does next year. And I got them taking Andrew Booth, corner from Clemson. I really don't think he's going to be here this far. But that's the thing about doing mock drafts is when you start putting in guys' names, you realize that, oh, this guy's probably going a little bit farther than he should. Yeah, Andrew Booth, corner from Clemson. Um, I don't think I don't like what the Bengals did on their offensive line this offseason. Obviously, adding Leo Collins was great. But Ted Karras and Alex Kappa, this doesn't really appeal to me that much of beefing up your interior offensive line. So 
I thought long and hard about that, putting maybe Tenny on green there as well, but ultimately I decided with Booth. Like I said with Tampa Bay, you can never have too much depth in the secondary, and with Eli Apple still starting in your secondary, you can always... Oh, God. Eli Apple. How is this guy still playing in the league? Uh, and he has, this guy burn, got burned more than anybody in the entire NFL. Yeah, and he has, and he has the biggest mouth, too. You, you, you hate to see it. I mean, if you're going to have a big mouth, at least back it up. Okay, here's an example that's near and dear to my heart. Tyreek Hill, if you want to flash the peace sign of people, great. Back it up, and he does. Eli Apple, you can't say shit. How many times in the playoffs? Like, I'm pretty sure, to, like, especially on Twitter, if you looked, it was like any play. You're like, oh, I guess guaranteed it was Eli Apple in coverage. And who was it? Yep, that's who it was. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I hope this guy doesn't is not on social media because if he's put like, I'm sure if he's like KD, he probably with his big enough, he does. He probably has like five, six, seven burner accounts on there. So anyway, um, Detroit lions at 32 from LA. LA's got no picks. Lions are at 32 final pick of the first round. Where are we going? So everyone kind of expects this to happen at some point or later, but I have someone, I have the Seattle Seahawks trading back into the first round. To take Matt Corral, quarterback from Ole Miss. Uh, like I said earlier, they got all that draft capital from Denver. Nine was a little bit rich to take a quarterback. So I think using some of their second-round picks here, they move up and take uh, Matt Corral here. Get the fifth-year option on the guy. Maybe have him sit for a year. I don't feel confident telling a guy to sit behind Drew Locker and Geno Smith. But, uh, hey, maybe he's got potential to start this year and see what he's got. I'd... Not comparing him to Russell Wilson, but he has similar traits to Russell Wilson. He can move in and out of the pocket. He has a good arm. He just has a lot of uh, grooming to do. But, yeah, Seahawks get their quarterback at 32. And, uh, yeah, that wraps there it you up. Go. So he's, mis- he's Mr. Partially Limited. Who knows? Uh, being that Wilson, Mr. Uh, Russell Wilson is Mr. Unlimited. So, Jake, let me ask you this. Your best bets for this. I know that you kind of mentioned prior that you don't. Like, you're not 100% confident. I mean, mocks are mocks. It can, they, everybody can go different ways. I mean, you know, teams, I mean, anything we know about the NFL, teams can have a guy set in stone, and then as soon as that that clock starts that your pick is is up, um, you know, obviously watching the broadcast is painful. that They take eight minutes basically for each pick, even though they we think they know who they have. Uh, but these picks can kind of come down to the last minute where all of a sudden they're second-guessing themselves. But are, what are some best bets for our guys that you have that you're like, yeah, you know what, I really feel confident that this is a great value? I'm okay with value picks. Like, it doesn't have to be a lock, but like a value pick, give me a couple of them. Right. So, yeah, I got three picks here that are around that, like, minus 100, minus 120 mark that I like as uh, actual bets. And I got a few value picks here later on. So a couple of the... Bets I got is Traylon Burke's draft position over 23 and a half. I uh, just lately I haven't been seeing him even mocked in the first round in a lot of mocks. He's kind of getting uh, dropped down in the tiers and the wide receivers. Uh, he disappointed, not necessarily disappointed at the combine, but you didn't see what you wanted to from him. Like he compared himself to Debo Samuels, and you guys know that I don't really like everyone calling people Debo, but. 23 and a half just seems super high for me for a guy that no one's really talking about right now and solely benefited from Arkansas getting him the ball in every possible way. So I just don't see him going top 23. 
and it's only minus 115. Okay, I like it. Uh, second one is Bernard Raymond, who I said is going to the Saints at 16. His draft position total is 37 and a half. So that's kind of where I was talking about how like Saints fans might not be very happy. No one really has him in the first round anymore. You're kind of just drafting him as that raw offensive athletic tackle. But under 37.5 at minus 115, I really like those odds. Minus 115 is pretty and good, then- by the way. I mean, seriously, like that. Yeah, like, if, if you have him at, would you say, sixteen, like that's a huge gap. So even if he drops a little bit, if there's another team that grabs him, even whatever, thirty three, thirty four, like you're still in the money. Exactly, and positional value for a tackle too, and like the Jaguars pick uh, thirty three in the first pick in the second round, and after going on edge rusher with their first pick, I mean, they think they gotta grab a tackle sometime in there. And next one is defensive players taken in round one is over 15 and a half. And it's only minus 125. I'm not sure exactly on this mock draft, but I know what I did. I think I had 19 or 20 defensive players going in the first round. It's definitely a defensive heavy draft. And especially I think if, for example, KC, if they keep their picks at 29 and 30, just where they are, I think they're going to be going defense with those picks. And there's just a lot of teams that are going to be building up their defense. So 15 and a half just seems super low to me. Give me some value picks here. So I got pick number eight, Atlanta Falcons. Desmond Ritter. Garrett Will. <laughs> I didn't even have odds on those. I think we we're going to try to get some. But uh, Garrett Wilson to be pick number eight is plus 350. It's not the best value pick, but it's the... He's the favorite at that position, so plus 350 for a favorite. It's someone that I've seen being mocked a lot. It's someone that I've mocked myself personally, and it's a huge position to need. So Garrett Wilson at number 8, plus 350, is a nice odds to sprinkle a little bit of change on it. And then and then this is my lottery pick right Oh, this here. is what we so, like here. All the degenerates who listen yeah. to the podcast, this is what we wait for, the lottery picks. Screw the minus 110s, minus 115s. Light us up with some value. So going back to my mock, pick number two, I got Iki Ikwanu. So he's plus 3,300 to be the second overall pick. Like we said, all the buzzes around the edge rushers and Detroit's probably going to add one of those edge rushers. But... Just that plus 3,300 for a guy that I think fits their system perfectly is it's one of my favorite bets. So I don't usually like giving people bets that are that high, but, I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Oh, well. I mean, this is the beauty of what we do is, is that, hey, uh, you know, yeah, we put everything out on the Internet, but, I mean, what are people actually going to do if we're wrong or wrong? We just do it for fun, right? Uh, Jake, last thing before we let you go. So first of all, appreciate everything that you've done with, with all your mocks because Cam and I, uh, you know, we're not as invested and that's fine because we don't have our own, our own picks, whatever the case is. Uh, we talked about this a little earlier, but set the line for us. And then Cam and I are going to take our, uh, take our, uh, over or under. So I need you to give us an over under on how many picks you're getting right in this draft. Oh, just give me one sec to just glance. That's all right. Because I feel like, you know, I mean, you have to have a certain amount of confidence in in some and all of these. And, I mean, all of them, obviously not. I mean, you've got a bunch of trades in there and and whatnot. Um, 
but I think it'll be interesting listening back. If you give us a line, we'll pick one or the other. I mean, it's possible that Cam and I are both on the same page. If so, then that we should you should feel pretty confident in what your uh, what your line is. So I'm gonna give you a line of six point five. Right or Ooh, that is that is spicy considering you've got four or five trades. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you a few of the ones that I really like that I think are good, I have a good shot of getting. So I still like Aiden Hutchinson at one, despite Trayvon Walker, all those rumors going on. I still like Hutchinson going one. Uh, I really like Garrett Wilson going to the Falcons. I think Evan Neal's going to end up on the Giants in some way. Uh, Kyle Hamilton to Washington almost seems like a lock to me. Um... The Eagles getting Trent McDuffie or Devin Lloyd, I think that's another lock. Um, Zion Johnson in New England, it's just something I can't look past, so I like that one as well. Um, and then Chris Olave to the Bills is another one, so there's a handful of ones in here that I feel really confident about, and then I'll probably get lucky on a couple Cam, of them. do you want to go first? I'm going to go under. I feel like there was a few of those that me and Jake kind of disagreed with. We agreed with quite a few of them. Uh, mainly position-wise, though, so maybe not players-wise, so I'll go the under. I'm going to take the over just to be opposite because I have faith in Jake. That's where I'm going. Um, hey, I mean, earlier earlier I did say 1.5 was the over-under, so... And like, I mean, like you I smashed said, that over. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, like, you get the first pick wrong, and then it just trickles down there, and you'll never get one right. I mean, every year I do... Uh, I try to do a mock as the draft goes on just to see after the first picks like pick each pick after the picks are already made just to see how i do there and i think last year i think i picked christian derisaw like nine picks in a row and he just kept on falling so once one guy once one domino falls the rest i'll tell you why i'm taking the over six and a half is i'm gonna count if a trade happens that counts despite the player not being correct i will count the trade happening as as a dub I feel like that's fair because if you get that right, then I mean I think that's more impressive than, that, than getting the player right because you never know. Yeah, I'll remember yeah, that. Okay, well I'm gonna include that. There you go, Cam. Are you gonna change your answer, or are you get still at your under? <laughs> no, I'm fine with the under. <laughs> I do really, I do really think I am pretty confident in Kansas City trying to trade up. That's one the one trade. That It'll I just am be confident. interesting to see if it's. To the team that you think it is. I think that's the biggest discrepancy yeah. is, is like if they trade up, great. But if it's not to the team that you thought, then it doesn't count. But anyway. In, until yeah, until yesterday morning, I had them trading up with the Jets each time at, for number 10. Oh, good. So. so my six and a half over is not looking so good. That's good to know. I just, yeah, I just, <laughs> easy, yeah. Well, Jake, I, I, as always, we appreciate uh, you coming on. Do you got any final thoughts for us before we let you go? Uh, no, I think we covered everything. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, you're guys. welcome. You're Appreciate welcome. Thank it. you as always. We'll have you back on uh, in the future as the NFL season kind of comes uh, comes a little bit closer. Uh, we'll probably get you back on, as I said, for our uh, kind of our predictions uh, for the year, and then it'll probably be uh, you know midway through the the preseason, just uh, just before the season starts. Uh, anyway, it's uh, NFL Blitz. Me, do you got a Twitter, Jake? Do you got anything that the people can follow? 
No, I do not. Tweet. Well, you should tweet because it's it's. I just got updated. Why well, you got to tweet because you know Elon bought the whole thing, so apparently the whole uh, the whole world has shifted. So NFL Blitz me. It's Jake uh, Jake Cowell on uh, on the Over Six Sports podcast. Thank you so much for buddy, and thank you for everything that you've done with this. And uh, have a great rest of your night. Yeah, man. You guys too. Thanks for having me. No worries. Well, that was uh, again. Shout out to uh, to Jake. From NFLBlitz.me. Great analysis. I uh, didn't love. I mean, we had we had we had a decent amount of Miami talk there. I felt. Yeah, you had to sneak in it a little bit. Considering we had no other, we had no opportunity. We had we had enough there. But uh, again, shout out to Jake uh, Jake Cowell. Um, always provides us some uh, some great analysis, some good insight. We'll see him a little. Uh, we'll talk to him a little bit later on in the year. Um, yeah. NFL draft, or sorry, yeah, NFL draft goes Thursday night. Uh, we'll have to see how that's uh, how this plays out. Hopefully, our bets are gonna gonna hit. I got the over on six and a half picks, right? You got the under. We will see how that goes. Uh, Cam, anything else you want to get to? Uh, it's been a long podcast. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are gonna be super happy with that uh, going forward. We we are gonna have a lot to talk about next week because the Raptors series is gonna wrap up. Uh, the NHL playoffs are starting as well, so we're gonna have to do our uh, NHL uh, playoff picks next week. Uh, we should have time, I would think. Uh, let me just look at the calendar really quick here. We should have time uh, next week to make our picks. Oh, they start May 2nd, though. So we might have to start a little bit late, but that's okay. Uh, we'll still uh, make our picks kind of for the playoffs and where we see everything going in the first round there. Uh, but uh, but for this week, I think we're good. What about you? Yeah, no, this is all I want to. Just look forward to Thursday night. It's going to be a fun basketball game. I really hope that I mean we're gonna we could have some spicy Raptors takes next week. By the time that we talk next week, it's all gonna be over. And one way or another, we're talking about the Raptors. So I can't uh, can't wait for that. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at over six sports at Zach Burke over six and at C Charlton Turf. And for the Over Six Sports Podcast, I am Zach the Man of Birth. And with me as always, Charlton. The Turf King, Cameron Charlton. Hey, you're listening to Over Six Sports. We'll chat with you next week.